We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mr. Roberts, it is mailback time. We have a lot of really good questions today, and I want to get to some of these. So first of all, from uh, Ryan's former bully, this is Tommy Guns' new name. I have no clue where this comes from. He must like have the day off, and he's just really bored. Uh, I'm not sure about that. But uh, from Tommy Guns, one of our OGs, how about K-13 and K-17 or KF and KS, freshman and sophomore? Uh, freshman and senior. So uh, we'll figure something out because I don't want to have to say Caleb the Elder and Caleb the uh, – you know, the, the younger all the time. KK Smith, so, man. Yeah. It's, it's easy. It's easy. Just make it happen. Just sounds weird. I'm like, I'm 45. I'm 44 years old. I'm going to be 45 soon. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm, I, I just, yeah, I'm not, I'm not calling some kid KK, right? You ever see that? Uh, uh, I think it was, I think it was on the, uh, the original Kings of Comedy one. You ever see that with like Cedric the Entertainer and Steve Harvey yeah. and Bernie Mac? And it's really funny, but it's like, uh, Cedric the Entertainer talking about some dude said his name was Delicious. Man, I'm a grown man, dog. I'm not calling some another dude Delicious. Like I'm just, you know, that's kind of how I feel about calling somebody KK. Uh, it's a cool nickname, but I just I don't know. It just doesn't feel. Plus, I don't, I don't know the kid, so I always feel weird about like calling people nicknames if I don't know them. So, but we'll point. think of something. We'll, we'll we'll think of something, Tommy. But thank you, I, thank you. For I, guess, I guess we could just, I guess we just call the older Caleb VT for his uh, stop at Virginia Tech. I don't know. Sure. Sure. We'll, fi- we'll figure something out. Figure something out. So we have a we have one from Rob Osgood. Thank you, Rob. He says, uh, "With the wide receiver, uh, with the wide receiver, is the room better in numbers than last year? Is in my opinion, it's like the NFL draft. More picks you have, the better chance of hitting a couple. Not all picks pan out. And I, I think Ryan, that's what we kind of talked. That's what you talked about very early. Ryan was because there's so many more talented bodies, the margin for error is much greater this year than it was last year." I mean, yeah, I mean, that's how, that's how it always happens. That's how it works just in general, right? It's like the more shots you take, the more opportunities you have to hit, right? The more bullets you have in your holster. Like, I mean, whatever cliche or whatever, you know, kind of whatever metaphor you want to use, like that's how it comes down to, man. I mean, the more opportunities you have to develop a really talented wide receiver, the more likely you are that you're going to develop more. I mean, it, the numbers will always help in that regard, as long as you are getting talented players, right? If, if you bring 10 
not incredibly talented wide receivers into the room, you shouldn't expect them to, you shouldn't expect to develop four stars, right? But the fact that Notre Dame has pulled in a lot more talent in the wide receiver room, it gives you optimism that like, hey, if Coach Stuckey and this staff can develop properly and we can our offensive identity can get these players involved, then you have an opportunity to have more chances at developing the wide receiver position because there's talent in that room, obviously. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Go to the next question here uh, from Jordan Schreiber says, do you think Bill O'Brien will be a good OC for the Pats after being such a terrible OC for Alabama? I want to say something about this because there's another question here that Jordan asks about Al Golden. We'll go to that next, but just because someone's not as good as another guy or maybe not good enough, doesn't make them terrible. It's not Steve Sarkeesian or garbage. Bill O'Brien was not a championship OC at, at Alabama. And I am, an anti Bill O'Brien person as a human being. And I think he's a very overrated offensive line, but he isn't terrible. Wasn't terrible at Alabama. So I'll just, I'll just kind of eliminate that part from the question, Ryan, and just ask you this as my resident NFL guy, do you think Bill O'Brien will be a good offensive coordinator for the Patriots? Cause I mean, that's where cert- he is, is going. So someone talked about it on Twitter this morning. I mean, he'll certainly be better than what they had. I mean, they had Matt Patricia and Joe judge. A low bar. Offense. That's like saying Chancey Stuckey was a better receivers coach than Dell Alexander. Like that's a pretty low bar. But I think the starting point is, is did you upgrade the position if you're, if you're new England, right? And the answer is yes. I mean, obviously Bill O'Brien is not an idiot. Like he knows offensive football and he's been successful in a couple spots. And I mean, one of his biggest successes was he was a, he was a good OC at new England before. I mean, I think that there is some context to that, right? You had Tom Brady at that point, you had, you know, maybe a little more offensive firepower than what New England has right now with the Mac Joneses of the world. But ultimately, it's got better in New England. There's no doubt. And I agree with you completely. He wasn't a bad OC at Alabama. He just wasn't as good or as good or as what, what their they standard need. is. Exactly. Yes. 
Exactly. So. It's about the standard at Alabama and the I, standard I, at Notre Dame. And go ahead, Ryan. I know. I was just going to say, I think both sides are going to ha- pay dividends on this one, though, right? Because I would say New England got better at offensive coordinator, no doubt. A guy that's familiar with them as well, which has played well into the Bill Belichick trait, right? When he brings guys back that he knows and is comfortable with, like the Josh McDaniels of the world, they usually do pretty well. But on the other side, Alabama, I think, knows that they need to be better at the offensive coordinator position. So you now have an opportunity to get an OC in there that could get you to the next level and back to championship level football on the offensive side of the ball. So I think Alabama benefits and I think New England benefits because you certainly upgraded from what you were last year. There's no doubt about that. Who's their new OC? I don't think they named anybody yet. Yeah, see, I, I got to see who he hires first to, to before yes. I'm ready to say it's going to be better. I, someone, I, The name that keeps getting popped out there is Jeff Lebby. I don't know if that's legit. I've heard that. I've heard that and a he bunch. He did a nice job. He's, he, people are going to look at Jeff Lebby and they're still saying, well, look at a good job he did at Ole Miss. And I'm like, yeah, but he wasn't the play caller at Ole Miss. Sure. And his offense at Oklahoma this year was okay. Sporadic. Sporadic. Yeah, yeah. wasn't great. Yeah. And he had some players to work with, you know, and, and it was just, I mean, it just, it didn't knock my socks off. I mean, playing in the Big 12, which isn't as bad defensively as it was in the past, they only averaged a point better than Notre Dame did this year. And, you know, it's like, uh, and that's kind of with playing a not great schedule. You know, and yeah. and scoring forty five points on a five and seven you know MAC team in UTEP, and scoring thirty three points on Kent State who had a losing record in the MAC. It's just they just weren't great this year and got shut out. I mean, just got destroyed by by uh, Texas. So it, it wasn't really a great offensive job this year. But again, year one and injury to quarterback and some other stuff that kind of went on. But he didn't knock my socks off this year, to be completely honest with you. But I, I think that would be. That would be an upgrade from Bill O'Brien because I think Jeff Levy's, from what I understand, is a little bit more of a team player. And I think that's one of the issues with, with, with Bill O'Brien is he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. And he doesn't want to listen to other people. And you got a pretty good assistant coaching staff at Alabama on offense right now. I mean, I like the O-line coach. I like Harlan Wiggins, who's the receivers coach, as long as he stays. I mean, they got a good running backs coach. Like, that's a good room. I don't think the OC was a good leader and was good at, you know, listening to everybody. If Jeff Lebby's more of a, okay, I'm the guy in charge, but it's an, the part of being in charge means we're going to get all of our ideas out there and then I'm going to figure out what's the best for us, then then they're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. But the big thing is, is I, I think the bigger thing for Alabama, if we're just looking at this from an Alabama standpoint, the biggest hire for Alabama this offseason, Ryan, is not who they hire as the offensive coordinator. It's who they hire as the defensive coordinator because that's the part of the, the ball that's, tech, to me, taking the biggest step back is, is the defensive coordinator. They're going to have a ton ton of talent on defense next year. They had a ton of talent on defense this year. But as we predicted in the offseason, it was not going to be as good as pe- as it should be because Pete Golding is a – he is a bad D.C., in my opinion. Like, Bill O'Brien's not awful. I think Pete Golding's awful. I do. I think he's a really bad defensive coordinator. I don't think Pete O'Br- Bill O'Brien's a bad offensive coordinator. I think he's an overrated offensive coordinator and a jerk. That's what I think Bill O'Brien is. And so uh, – that the DC move is the is the more important one for me because they got to get back to a little bit of being able to to stop people on defense and they haven't really been able to do that in recent well, years. Well, maybe Matt Matt Patricia might be available. So, oh Lord, have mercy. <laughs>
<sighs> yeah, you never know. I, I, I still hate I still hate that that guy has a pencil in his ear and he has a laminated play sheet. It's just so it's like so lame. It's like, bro, it's, what are you doing? Make any sense to me? What just exactly like, are you writing on that pencil? Does he even like a notepad in his pocket for like halftime? I don't, I don't think something? so. I've never seen him actually use the pencil. He just puts a pencil in his ear. So I don't know. He's that coaching dude, that guy that just like is the stereotypical coach. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. The guy just thinks like, well, I do this to show him a coach. It's like, bro. Yes. Just chill, man. No, but nobody Whatever will know he's a coach otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. If I don't do all this, it's like, bro, you know, just stop, man. Just stop. But the other question that he had was, is, is uh, did Diaco, Elko, Lee, Freeman ever have one year as bad as Golden his first year at D.C.? I don't understand why you keep calling him smart. That's last out of five coordinators, only better than BBG. First of all, the answer to the first part is yes. I mean, I can't say that for Freeman because he was only here for a year. And I think yeah. the defense was better last year than this year. But for Elko, his his 2017, from a statistical standpoint, wasn't as good as Notre Dame's defense last year. And, and here's another thing that people are not talking enough about when we're being critical of Al Golden is Al Golden was not good enough this year for it to be a championship football team. He was not. Al Golden did not do a bad job this year. Right? This is the thing we keep talking about, Jordan, is there's a difference between did you do a good like, – it's not championship or you suck. It's really yeah. not. It, you can say championship or not good enough, and that's totally fair, and that's where we are. It wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough. It was not good enough for the standard that was set by previous coordinators, but more so because you're, to be a championship defense. The job he did this year was not nearly as good as the job that, to me, Clark Lee did in 2018 or 2019. But I'll tell you this right now, it was definitely better than the job that Clark Lee did in 2020. I mean, definitely better. And if you look at this year's team, this year's team gave up 329.3 yards per game and 5.2 yards per play. In 2020, they gave up 343.6 yards per game and 5.6 yards per game. And that was with a regular season that had like one and a half good offenses on it. Because I kind of take Clemson out because when you lose Trevor Lawrence, you should not have been giving up that many points to that offense. I'm sorry. It was not a good defensive performance. Your defense sparked you to, I mean, your offense sparked you to a good early lead. And then you started getting worked and giving up big plays. So I'll take the job that, that, that he did this year over the job Clark Lee did in 2020 every day of the week. And Elko's is just completely, I mean, I mean, Diaco was just a completely different situation. I mean, with all due respect, Notre Dame had good players this year. Go look at what Bob Diaco was working with in 2020, 2011. There's some flat out dudes on that defense in 2011 and 2012, yep. right? And so I just think that we need to we need to find the right way to discuss the job Al Al Golden and Al Washington did as coaches this year, and have a more productive conversation. Because if your if your conversation is that he was bad, then we're just not having we're not on the same universe as a, in a conversation, right, Jordan? So that's my thing is we can be critical of the job he did and should be, and I think the question is fair. In in comparing him to those other coaches, that's the standard that's been set. But if you're going to say that he did a bad job, then you've got to you've got to give me evidence for that, other than just a, a feeling that you had. Because statistically, this year was not bad compared to other seasons. It wasn't as good, but it wasn't bad. And and I think that's the thing that we got to be able to look at. And there were some moments where the defense was downright pretty good at times. It just was too way too inconsistent. And I will say this, this is probably the most inconsistent defense that Notre Dame has had in several years. And that's something he's going to have to figure out. But the highs were also pretty high. And and that's a that's something that's a that's a positive, right? And so 
Now he's just got to take a, a much bigger step forward. But I, I don't think Al Golden was bad this year. I think he just wasn't good enough based on the standard that we're talking. It's kind of like the Bill O'Brien thing. Bill O'Brien wasn't bad at Alabama. He just wasn't good enough. And he was a jerk. Al Golden's not a jerk, but he's not good enough. And and can I also say this too, Brian? I mean, because I I don't one thing I don't like about how this is phrased, and this isn't really a shot at Jordan as much, but even if Al Golden doesn't end up being a championship level defense coordinator for Notre Dame, I'm still not gonna say that he's not smart. He is smart. He's been around football for a long time. He's been in a lot of places. He's a very respected person from an in- football intelligence side of thing too. So some guys maybe just aren't great defensive coordinators. Maybe that's how golden at the end of the day, but that doesn't mean he's not smart. He is a smart football guy. There's no doubt about that. I think another thing too, Ryan, is you can be a smart football guy and not be a great head coach or not be a great coordinator or not be a great, you know, I mean, Kerry Coombs didn't all of a sudden forget how to be a football coach and didn't forget football when he went from being, one of the most re- respected corner coaches, DB coaches in the business to an awful defensive coordinator. Like Kerry Coombs is bad. That's a bad defensive coordinator. That's yes. a guy giving up 26, 27, 28 points per game with Ohio state's talent, right? That's not, that's not what Bob, De- that's not what Al Golden was this year. And, and so to me, that's the kind of thing that I look at and I say, you know, Hey, we need, we need to be having a little bit more of a kind of constructive conversation when we're, we're going to have these these things so but i do appreciate the question jordan i really do lance hab says uh scale of one to ten notre dame has two receivers this year that go over a thousand yards what say you mr roberts i, j- I just don't say it right like i, I mean okay so where I, would you I, be on a one to ten scale and why i'd be at like a two like I, i'd be very low because i i think that for me it, and it has nothing to do with the lack of production as much i think that it's going to be spread out a lot you know like i think that the uncles he will have opportunities i think tobias merriweather Jaden thomas lorenzo styles like the tight end position running backs using the passing game i just think that it's going to be a very spread out passing game i just don't think that there's going to be two guys that are just the foregone volume getters in the in the passing game so i'll leave it really low i think it's like a one or a two like i just just don't think it's going to happen i mean i'm not even sure honestly if there's going to be one thousand yard receiver on the team like i'm not 100 positive on that one right so i think it's just low because where are you on a scale of one to ten about one because i'm with you on two for two four four okay. five yeah. i'm, I'm a little higher low. than four just okay. because I could see a Tobias, I could see a Dion, I could see a guy like that, including the postseason getting to that level, that wouldn't surprise me. Sure. I'm at like a five or six for one. Yeah. I'm at a two for uh two. Just because yeah, like, like a, I, I like a could, four or five. Here's then, why yeah. I'm I'm at a two in in I'd probably lean more to three than one, is simply because part of the reason that I don't think they're gonna get two thousand to a thousand or maybe even one is because A spread it around, but then two, because how good they're gonna be at running the football. Yes. But the other part of that too, Ryan, is that's where uh, your run game could actually help you get to a couple guys with a thousand yards because you maybe don't need the volume of catches to get there in that instance, you know, where Notre Dame doesn't really have a, a, you know, home run runners, home run threats at runner. They have, we're going to, we're going to kind of beat you into the ground. We're going to, I mean, that's kind of how we're going to, how we're going to do you. And so, you know, when I, like, for example, in 2017 or 2018, remember we had a question recently where when was the last time a team had 2,000 yard rushers, 2,000 yard receivers, and a what was it a 3,000 yard quarterback? Yeah. And we couldn't remember. And and some it was 2018 Oklahoma's actually was the answer. 
because the quarterback rushed for over a thousand yards, right? Kyler Murray, but they had 2000 yard receivers, but their catch numbers were not insane. It was Marquise Brown had 1300 yards and CD lamb had uh, 1158 yards. Well, they did it on 75 and 65 catches, Ryan, because they both averaged over 17 yards a catch. I could see a scenario where let's say, you know, let's say Deion Colsey breaks out, right? And he has a, a 75 catch, 1,050 yard season. It's pretty good, right? So, you know, let's say 1,050 yards divided, divided by 75 catches. That's, you know, 14 yards a catch. That's not too bad. I don't see another receiver having 65, 70 catches and averaging about that. But could I see a scenario where, you know, Tobias Merriweather has 1,000 yards on 55 catches? which is 1,000 yards, but 18 yards a catch because it's just volume stuff, three catches for 120 yards in some games. I could see that because of the run game. But it would have to be something like that, Ryan, and I just don't know if they're going to feature two guys enough with the numbers to get there. So that's why I'm low. But the reason I'm not all the way down to one or saying it's not going to happen is because I do think the run game could be a thing that benefits them to where maybe the yards per catch goes up more and they don't have to produce as much volume. Because the thing about the Oklahoma guys, they played a lot of snaps because of the nature of the offense. The receivers won't get as many targets as those guys got because the offense is just different. And I don't see Notre Dame kind of going out there and passing for 4,500 yards this year like the Oklahoma team did. But even then, the reason you got 2,000 yarders is because you'll average 11.3 yards per pass attempt, which is huge. I just don't see Notre Dame running that, that many plays, to be completely honest with you. And that team also did that right in 14 games. So in order for Notre Dame to play that many games, they'd have to win a playoff game, which that'd be great. I would be very happy about that. It, the point is it's even harder to do that in the 13-game season is my point. So, But yeah. I, I could see it happening. I just – so I'm not ready to go to like one or zero. It just – but it's it's low. It would, it, would, it would be a surprise. It would be a big surprise to see that. And, it would. And, well, I mean, when was the last time Notre Dame had 2,000 receivers in the same year? It would have been 05. Oh five, yeah. I was about five. to say it had to be like the Brady yeah. Quinn, right? Like they, to, they would yeah. have, they would have probably done it twice in Leighton Charlie's era if if Michael Floyd doesn't get hurt in 08 and 09. Mm-hmm. especially oh nine. Yeah, if 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 oh nine, if Michael Floyd doesn't get oh eight, might have been a little tougher. But in both years, oh eight and oh nine, Michael Floyd was Jimmy Clausen's number one receiver until he got hurt. You know, and Golden had a monster year in 09. And and Floyd still, I mean, Floyd still got somewhat close to two thousand. Uh, excuse me, a thousand yards that year. He still finished with seven ninety five, but he only played seven games. I mean, if he plays twelve games, they're both over a thousand. So I mean, we would, but but those were two stars. I mean, that was Michael Floyd and Golden yeah. Tate. I don't know if there's that kind of one-two punch in the room right now, especially since Tobias is only a sophomore. So it would surprise me. But, yeah, you'd have to go back to Stovall and Samarja back in 05. And I think that's the only time it's ever happened, actually. Wait, did, they were, didn't, um, was, wasn't the next year, didn't Samarja and Rima do it? No. Rima was in the 900s. Got he it, didn't. Got he, now, Rima had a, a bunch of, of, of touchdowns. He had like 15 touchdowns or something. Yeah. But yeah. Rayma never got to 1,000, partly because his yards per catch was way down. Uh, he was at 907 on 67 catches because he was only at three, 13 and a half yards per catch. You know, but that year, Ryan, they had three guys go over 600 because John Carlson over had over 600 as well. So that was the other thing, too, is part of the reason that Rayma uh, didn't get to 1,000 also is because of how good John Carlson was. 
He was a season. really good player, man. Oh, John yeah. Carlson was a good football player. Oh, yeah. Player. Now, you had Anthony Fasano the year before, but Anthony Fasano had a thousand, had a hundred fewer yards than John Carlson, or about 70. Well, you take those yards and you put them into Rama, and all of a sudden, Rama's got a better chance to get to 100 or get to 1,000. So uh, that's part of it, too. Now, I don't think that the tight end position is going to produce as much as John Carlson did that year. But I also think there's going to be more spread out because when you look at those seasons, Ryan, like the 05 season, you had Samarja had a 1,249, Stovall had 1,149. They were both over 16 yards a catch, and and that was huge. And then you had Fasano at, at four, 576. Well, then you had two guys over 300, and then nobody else got to 100. Darius Walker was at 351, Matt Sheldon was at 329, and then the next highest guy was Rashawn Powers Neal at 90. I don't see any back. scenario where there's only five, huh? Who was a fullback? Just for and God's didn't sake. play the whole season. Yeah, Only played five games. The next receiver was Rama at 69, who only played two games. And then the next guy was John Carlson at 56. Right? So the point is, this year, I'll be shocked if there's only five guys with over 100 yards receiving this year. Shocked. And so, you know, that that's that's one of those things that factors in as well, is, is that part. Is I just think, to Ryan's point, because Ryan, you said this earlier, I think the ball is just going to get spread around a lot more. Yeah. You know, even look, right, even this year, as bad as the offense was and how a few they still had eight different guys catch over 100 yards, <laughs> you know. And so I just I don't see any scenario where that doesn't happen next year. So to Ryan's point, the ball is just going to get spread around, in my opinion, a lot more than it did then. So they'd have to be an insanely explosive offense to have all of that two guys over a thousand yards. And that could it happen? Sure. But that's one heck of a jump, Ryan. You're talking about like an LSU. 2019 borderline jump from what they were last year to that. And I just don't hope, see it. Hope it happens though. I'll yeah, be that'd be great. I mean, it'd be great. And and like, you know, you could point to say, well, you know, Hey, look, Sam Hartman and, 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 uh, in 2021 through for 4,000 yards, he had 2000 yard receivers on that team. Another guy with 600 yards, another guy with 400 yards, another guy with 300 yards. You say, well, you know, Sam Hartman's done that before. True. But they rushed for 160 yards a game. Had one guy over 600 yards rushing. That that's just Notre Dame's not going to be that team. They're not going to be a 160 yard rushing per game team. If something if that happens around, something went really wrong, like really wrong, and and so it's just not going to be the case. So you're just not going to see the uh, opportunity for him to get to that level because this team's just going to run the ball more and more effectively. No, so it'll be okay. Well, then get the yards per catch up more, right? And so then you look at the receiving yards in that 2021 season. You know, you had Jakari Robbins, Roberson was uh, 15.2, and then A.T. AT Perry was at, at 18.2. And they also played 14 games, right? So, again, it was a little bit of a different situation. And so – but the other thing, too, is is how good he is throwing the football is where I could see part of it, too. Because if you can throw the football down the field, you don't need as many catches to get to 100 yards. And in a 13-game season, you know, you don't need to average 100 yards a game to get to a thousand. You only need to average 76.9. Well, there's going to be some games where Tobias or Lorenzo or Dion gets out in two catches. <laughs> you know what I mean? But can they do that consistently? Can two guys do that consistently? I, I, I hope so, but I just, I don't see it. It'd be nice. It'd be fun to watch Ryan. That's for sure. It'd be definitely fun to watch. Cause if it, I'll say this though, here's the question. Uh, what's your scale of one to 10 Ryan on Notre Dame winning a championship. If they have 2000 yard receivers this year, Seven eights, yeah, pretty high. It's pretty high, yeah, yes. yeah, it's high. A hundred percent, a hundred percent agree. 
Oh, goodness. Broke Neck Boy has a question for me. Says, how would you get back to watching the uh, would you get back to watching the Broncos if they shine sign Sean Payton? Probably not. Because the roster still stinks. I think Sean Payton's a bit of an overrated coach. Uh, I think he's a good coach, Ryan, but I, I think uh, he doesn't have Drew Brees a quarterback, with all due respect to Russell Wilson. Also, you have to give up a lot to give Sean Payton, right? Because he's under contract with New Orleans, so you have to give yeah. up draft capital. To well, get they're Sean talking Payton. about how the Saints are asking for two first-round picks. Well, even if you get yeah. down that, get that down to one, that means what? You're giving up three first-rounders for Russell Wilson and Sean Payton? Okay, so you have a, a big-name coach and a big-name quarterback with no high-level draft picks. Okay, whatever. I did something pop in my head when you were talking, though, Ryan, earlier that kind of goes back to a conversation we were having in the uh, the, the regular portion of the show about – why volume's important and people say you know you drafted a dn in the first round why'd you draft another one in the third round well because we have depth needs and because i'm we're taking the best player it's kind of like you look at the redskins the year they drafted he schuler and gus Ferrat. oh i thought well, you were going to three and kirk cousins <laughs> well that's another one but when you yeah. had uh heath schuler was like what the number two number three somewhere overall pick and then you draft gus Ferrat in seventh round well, you drafted two quarterbacks. You just increase your odds that one of them becomes a starting caliber quarterback. Now, neither of them were very good, but who was the guy that was the better quarterback out of that tandem? It was Gus Farad. And so, you know, that's kind of why you do it is because, hey, look, we're going to get as many talented kids as we possibly can. And the odds are that somebody's going to step up and be a dude. Similar situation, Brian. I'm going to ask you a, a small trivia question. It's not that much yeah. of a trivia question, really. Troy Aikman's rookie year, he did not win a single football game. The Cowboys went 1-15 that year. Do you know who the only victory was that year, only victorious quarterback that year? I believe it was Steve Walsh, wasn't it? Fellow rookie quarterback, Steve yeah. Walsh, who was right. a draft pick with Troy Aikman as well. Right. Yes. And the funny thing is, is they beat the Redskins. Is that who they beat? Pretty good that year. Yes. My dad still is upset about that game, if we're going to be <laughs> honest about it. Yes. Um, I'm actually going to find out because Steve Walsh was drafted low that year, yes, right? Very low. He was a he was a supplemental pick that off season, so he was actually a first round supplemental pick that they had. But they had a first round pick to give up because they had the trade with Herschel Walker, I believe, at that time. But yes, you are correct. Uh, Steve Walsh was the starting quarterback on that, so I got that one right. Or no, I was correct. I got that one right. You do get um, it right. But the that was an eighty nine, right, Ryan? I believe so. Sounds right. So I, I believe the let me let me go look at the what the Redskins were in nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, they were ten and sixteen. So <laughs> they yeah, lost they to went the one and fifteen. They, they lost to the one and fifteen um, Dallas Cowboys. Yes, and nice. they had beaten Dallas thirty to seven earlier in the year at Dallas. They lost thirteen to three at home in that game. Thirteen to three. Yeah. Yuck. Yeah, of course, the next week they go out and beat the Broncos. So it's like, you know, I mean, two weeks later they go out and beat the Broncos. But, um, and then the funny thing is, the next week after losing at home to the one in 15 Dallas Cowboys, the very next week they went on the road and beat Philadelphia, who that year went 11 and five and actually made the playoffs. And then they, the year after, the next week they actually lost to the Broncos. Excuse me, I got that one wrong. And then the next week they went out and beat the Bears. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like, how do you lose that game? Right, like, how do you lose to that team? Here's another funny stat. Do you know who the five teams in the NFC East were that season? Obviously, it's the Giants, the Eagles, the Cowboys, and the Redskins. Do you know who the other yeah. NFC East team was on that? This is how this is. It's, it's almost as dumb as college football now. It's the Arizona, the Phoenix Cardinals, 
for the mm. other NFC East team. Like east of what? Hawaii? Like what <laughs> what constitutes east in this situation? That's funny. But yes, it was the Phoenix Cardinals. I I, rem- I saw that and I, rem- I can't remember that. I remember that now. And talk about how good the quarterback play was in the 80s. The fact that nobody knows who like almost nobody knows unless the diehards or older people like us know who Neil Lomax was. Oh yeah. Right? Because there were just so many good quarterbacks back then. That dude had a 4,000-yard season back in the 80s. You know what I mean? Like that guy had some really good years, but uh, there's just so many good quarterbacks back then that you just people forgot and about. Even, even before that, I think it was more in like the seventies. The um, the Cardinals were a terrible team, but they had Jim Hart, who my dad still swears that if Jim Hart was on a good team, he would have been the man. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I've heard people make that about Archie Manning. That if Archie Manning oh, yeah. would have gone to a better program, he might have been one of the best ever. I've heard people make that argument before. I mean, I think he was still a Hall of Famer, wasn't he? I don't, I don't think believe. so. I don't but he think. was just a, maybe just a college Hall of Famer then? Probably. But certainly a well-known guy. Let me look it up. I thought Arch went there. He has some of the He's most, just a college football Hall of Fame. Yeah. He right. has some of the most fun highlights ever, though. Even like oh my throw gosh. stuff underhanded. <laughs> just running for his life. You know. Yeah, it's bad. It uh, bad. Here's another question from John Murray. He says, good day, IB. Same to you, John. If uh, the ground has been gained in the areas of releasing route, running precise routes and having an aggressive attitude about going after the ball, some of the athletic ability should show. I think that's the big thing, John. That's a great comment, Ryan, is that's why technique is so important. Because when the technique is there and it's taught and it's muscle memory, they don't have to think about it. Now it's just your your talent takes over. Right. Like when when Jerry Rice was in his prime, he wasn't thinking about, okay, I'm going to stem this guy up this way. And when I get to my top, I'm going to do this. And he just knew it's just instinctive. Like you'd done it so much, you know, like like it's like great basketball players. Right. I mean, the the after a while, like the the crossover for Bubba Chuck was just kind of a part. It's like I, I got it. I see your leverage and I just bam, it's just instinctual. I go to it. If you have to think about it, then a lot of times you're not going to go there. It's got to be a feel. But that comes over. I mean, do you know how many crossovers that Allen Iverson did in his career practicing i know he didn't like to practice in a formal structure but you know alan iverson liked to play like the ball you know how many times larry larry bird attempted those those crazy passes where in practice where it didn't work out because you you know your boundaries it just it becomes it just becomes a feel we've practiced so much together i know where you're gonna be i have yep. to see you and it's the same thing with an individual player it's like I'm not thinking about like if you're at the free throw line thinking about your technique, you're not going to be very good free throw through because it's in your head now. You're up there. This is my rhythm. Bam, 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 bam. It's in. Right. You can see when a guy's struggling as a free throw shooter. Why? Because you see it's mechanical. Because why? He's thinking about it. Yes. And now it's like now you're in trouble. And same with great. It just has to be a feel. Right. And, and the thought process of how I'm going to attack this guy is worked on during the week of practice to where. You have a, a a mental acceptance of where this guy is, but then after that, it's just I know what I'm supposed to do, and I'm and I'm doing this. And to your point, John, when it gets to that level, you're just out there being athletic, and that's when this group becomes really really good because the talent is there. It really is. Now, is there one? Is there a Quentin Johnston in the room? Is there a a guy like that? Is there a Mike Williams in the room? No, I don't think so. Not right now, anyway. I don't think there's a Mike Williams 2016 Clemson guy in the room, Ryan. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that. I don't. But there is a deep group of receivers. And that, to me, is just as good as a team that has one great guy and a bunch of okay guys. And so Clemson 2016, Ryan had a receiver that's better than what Notre Dame has. 
They, they did. Mike Williams in 2016 will have been better than anybody that Notre Dame has. But to me, I'll take the rest of it. Jordan Leggett, Deion Kane, Artavis Scott, Hunter Renfro, Ray Ray McLeod. Those are all good players. Deion Kane could have been better than he was. But I think Notre Dame could be every bit as good, if not better, in those spots is where I think that they can be or where they need to be. And so uh, that's there's those are the different ways you can have a great receiving court. It's a bunch of really good guys or one star that just can take games over. And I would I would like that both. I'd love to have a star and then a bunch of really, really good players. Yes. I just don't know if that guy's in the roster yet. Maybe Tobias could get there down the road, but Mike Williams is a pretty freaky dude. I mean, he, he really was. Especially after coming back from the neck injury. I, I didn't think he was ever going to be the same after what happened to him in 2015. Do you remember that? Did you ever see that hit that he took, yeah. Ryan? Yep. That's one we're like, dude, I don't know if that guy ever dives for a ball again. Like after that. That's scary. And that's really scary. scary. It's really scary. Whew, goodness gracious. All right, let's get to some more here, Ryan. I'm from Coleman Smith. Coleman says, what is both of your comps for Lorenzo Styles and freshman Caleb Smith? Mine for Lorenzo is Stefan Diggs, and Caleb Smith, to me, is a faster version of Lad McConkie. All right, Ryan, so let's say, what is your comp for Lorenzo? I mean, I don't think I really have a great one. I mean, I'm trying to, like, think through my mind. I mean, my mind's going to, all right, he's a sleek kid, you know, kind of wiry. His pretty smooth kid has pretty good explosiveness for his size. I mean, who's that guy? I mean, I don't know. I, I'm trying to like work through guys that would be decent comparisons. I, I can't really. I don't really have one. I don't really have well, one. Let's like, go with Caleb Smith because I do know you. I'm pretty sure you had one for him during our uh, during our um, kind of our recruiting period. I, I thought you had one for him as well. I can't remember who it was though. Mine was Chris Olave. I think he's got a lot of Chris Olave in him, you know, but maybe a little bit more after the catch and, but not quite as top ends fast, but just really smooth, very sudden athlete, similar body type. And the ball skills are similar. Cause I, I always, one thing I like, I was surprised at how fast Chris Olave was, but one of the things I always liked about Chris Olave, and he's, he's been better as a pro than I thought he would be Ryan looking at his stats. But one of the things for me that I look at and, and I see about him is he is a great pass catcher, meaning mm-hmm. he attacks the football. He's got supreme confidence in his hands, and he can do a lot of good things. And when I, when I look at that, I see a lot of that in Caleb Smith. He just has a very – he just always attacking the football, going after the football, very clean hands. He's going to be a very sharp, precise route runner. Is he as good as Chris Olave? No, but style of play-wise, I see a, I see a similarity. You know who a guy that I could see as being a comp for Lorenzo Styles, Ryan? I'm going to say this, and I'm, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on it because it's not a perfect comp because, as you know, I'm not really great at comps. I don't love comps. But a guy that just kind of sticks out in my mind as a, as a comparable player is De'Ami Brown from North Carolina. Kind of similar man. body type. You know, six yeah. foot, six one, one ninety five range, good vertical speed, smooth, but maybe not overly sudden. You know, and 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 very similar body type. I think Lorenzo is not a shaky, make you miss guy. He is a fast guy, a smooth, fluid, fast guy, but not a guy that's going to catch a bubble screen and like make a couple quick, sudden moves. He's going to. He's just. He's a little clunky in that type of scenario, but he's a guy that can catch a screen, find a crease, and hit it with vertical speed. 
and be fast, in my view. And I kind of mm-hmm. felt that way about Diami Brown a little bit too, Ryan. I don't know what you think of that song. It's interesting because obviously Diami was used as kind of a more of a vertical player at North Carolina because right. that's kind of how Phil Longo em- employed him. You know, it's kind of funny though, is now I'm thinking of like that offense. I'm like, ah, this kid, Caleb Smith had a little Daz Newsome in him, you know, maybe a little bit bigger, oh. but kind of, kind of has some of that slot stuff, can be a little creative in space. But I kind of like the Diami Brown one, honestly, because their body types are also very similar, you know, like they're both. Yep. Six foot, six foot and a half, six one, somewhere in that ballpark, and a little lanky, but like, how about like a wiry frame where you're kind of like he probably is a little stronger than what he actually looks like, type of thing. So, I, I could get there with that one. That's definitely better than what I have because I don't have a good cop for him right now. So, <laughs> all right, let's go to Irish Blooded. He says, With a healthier running back room, do you think Chris Tyree plays more in space and screen and screen games with a better, hopefully improved blocking wide receiver group? And is that better for Tyree? Is that I think is that better? I would say yes. It's getting better Chris than what Tyree. they did last year. Yes, comparative. It's not, exactly. it's not the ideal scenario for Chris Tyree. I still think Chris Tyree is better getting the ball as a runner. He's more dangerous as a runner than he is as a receiver. That's why I've been against the whole slot thing. But here's the deal: Chris Tyree cannot be a duo guy. That's not his game. He is an inside-outside counter guy. And if you go back to 2020. What was Notre Dame's three base plays, Ryan? They ran inside zone, outside zone, and counter. That was it. And Chris Tyree, what did he hit big runs off of? Counter against Florida State, and they hit big runs on inside zone. But it's because you were you'd shown teams that you were willing to go here, so when he went here, but he was able to cut those suckers back. And I think that's more geared to his game. If you're going to play him as a running back, and they should still keep him as a running back, he's got to be an outside zone, inside zone counter guy that also is used in the pass game. That's what you need to do with him. And then the pass game becomes more effective that way, where, you know, Chris Tyree only needs six to seven carries a game to rip off 50 yards. And then he catches two, three balls for 30, 35 yards. And then occasionally he's going to rip off a big, big home run. And, and, but, so I still believe using him as a runner, which means not putting him in space in the screen games primarily, those need to be complementary pieces to him being a runner but you're just going to have to use him in the runs that his game is better suited for, in my opinion. That's what I, I think. I mean, I think regardless, though, whether it's in the run or the pass game, you do have to be more creative with how you use Chris Tyree because I think that there was no creativity to it at all. You're just like, this is what we do well as an offense. And despite Chris Tyree at 190-something pounds being more of a outside zone type of runner, inside zone type of runner, I'm going to force him to being a power back, right? Like that, I think that was – an ill use of talent. So regardless of whether we're talking about how to utilize him in the pass game or the running game, I think that there needs to be, I mean, we talked about diversity all year of the run game, but diversity in the run game is especially true towards a guy like a Chris Tyree, because that's not a just work him downhill consistently. He's going to break a ton of tackles type of runner. Like that's not who Chris Tyree is. You want to manipulate a little bit of space, whether it's in the run game or the pass game, because you want to work him into scenarios where it's not easy to predict, right? Like I don't want to predict hundred percent of where Chris Tyree is. If we're just running him as a duo runner, it's not utilizing his talent the best way possible. So there needs to be more diversity to how you use him in general, because there is a lot more that you can get out of him. I mean, he should not be a kid that's averaging just a hair over four yards to carry on a season. Like that should not be who Chris Tyree is. And that's what you relegated. And that's not him. That's on you. As exactly. a coach, you're not using him the way his game needs to be used, in my opinion. 
and that tells me you're just playing him because he's the veteran because you feel you need to not you're not actually playing to his strengths and I and I, and I think that's the big thing for me is I want to see coach Reese become a guy that's a little bit better at yes you have your offense but you need to tailor your offense to fit your specific talent and either don't play Chris Tyree at all uh, use him only as a pass game weapon or if you're going to use him as a key part of your offense then use him to what he does well yeah. Those are my things, right? And it's the same thing with Logan Diggs. Like if, if Chris, let's say Chris Tyree was the dude and you're running outside zone and counter all game long with him. And then you bring Audric Estime in and you're going to do the same thing. It's like, um, I don't know if this is the ideal scenario for using him at this point in time. And, and so like, it'd be the same argument there. You have to have enough versatility. And that's what I was so excited about in the bowl game because we saw so much run game versatility from Coach Reese in the bowl game. I was like, okay, if he can carry this into the next year, I don't know how you stop this run game. Because you can slow it down early, but then if other stuff is going, the boat legs, the RPOs, all the – because Tyler Buckner was hitting RPOs in that game, right? I mean, he he was. If you can get that the play actions and the RPOs and the, and the quarterback run game or whatever, if depending on who your quarterback is going, and you're showing versatility in your scheme – I don't know how you defend that team. And the fact is South Carolina couldn't, right? I mean, everybody talks about good Jordan Birches and, and he's going to Oregon and arguably the biggest defensive guy on the board. Notre Dame put up 50, 40, uh, was it 45 points and 558 yards against that guy. Right. So, wow, they were missing some guys. Yeah. So it was Notre Dame. So it was Notre Dame. Right. And so that's the thing is, but when you show that versatility where you're going to attack outside and inside, you can't defend this offense for four quarters. You just can't. And I thought that's what really helped against Clemson too, Ryan, is, you know, again, the offense wasn't brilliant against Clemson. The run game was brilliant against Clemson. I mean, Reese was on top of his, um, his game and you couldn't really do a whole lot throwing the football because of how windy it was like 34 to mile wind gusts, but his ability to then get outside with the run game and with the quick screens early with Chris Tyree really put Clemson on its heels and allowed them to be successful. It was, it was, um, it was impressive to me. It was impressive. Okay. Right, let's get to the next one here, Ryan. Here's an interesting one I'll ask to you there, Mr. Roberts. Jordan Schreiber asks, uh, prediction, is the 24 recruiting receiver class better than the 23 receiver recruiting class at the end of the day? His answer is yes, Ryan. And I assume he means um, how they sign, right? So what, yeah. what are your thoughts? It's possible. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. I mean, there's there's extremely talented players that are already on the board, and you already have a com- early commitment from Cam Williams. And if – I mean, if the class ended today, Cam Williams would be the highest rated recruit out of the two classes, right? As far as wide receivers go. I mean, he's, I forget if it was two, four, seven or on three has him as the number 20 ranked player in the class. Right. So Cam's a legit dude. Like he's a really talented football player, but then you also have the opportunity to get a Ryan Wingo, hopefully a Jeremiah McClellan, a Josiah Brown, a Breedell Richardson. Like there's a lot of really really talented Emmett Mosley. There's a lot of really talented wide receivers on the board. So, I mean, Jordan yet, yeah, could it happen? Could they be better? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's very possible. I think that it, you do have a good possibility because you have a great baseline already in cam. And I think you're in a pretty decent position with a couple of them already, but you know, it's all going to depend on if you can close on the elite talent. Cause I mean, we're talking about the sunshine and rainbows, but there's also the possibility that you lose out on a couple of those guys. Correct. So, I, I do think that you have a good chance to have a better group, but it's going to take a lot of closing. There's no doubt. Yeah. And I don't, 
I will say this. I don't feel as good right now about Notre Dame closing on those guys as I feel about how they finished in last year's class. I don't feel like, okay, they're going to land this guy, this guy, this guy. I feel good about it. And and so, but I also, at this time a year ago, we weren't talking about Jaden Greathouse and Braylon James being locks to Notre Dame. No. We weren't talking about Rico Flores hardly at all, and I had no clue who Caleb Smith was at this time. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot of, and this is what, when people start getting where, oh, they're just we not going to do We were just talking about Carnell Tate this time of year. Yeah. Right? <laughs> hoping that yeah. they would get him. Right. And yeah. And guys like him. So I look at it and I say, Hey, look, let's, let's let this play out a little bit, but with where things stand now, if I had to predict today, I will not predict that Ryan Wingo picks Notre Dame. Do I think Notre Dame's in it? Absolutely. Do I think they have a shot? Absolutely. Do what I, if I had to make a pick today, would it be Notre Dame? Wouldn't. And, and so, you know, I don't, I don't know if they're in as strong of a position now as they with Jeremiah McClellan as they were six months ago. You know, Breedell Richardson's a really talented player, likes Notre Dame a lot, but he's from Florida. And I never feel good about kids from Florida until they sign. I'm just going to be honest with you. And so there's a lot of, uh, like you said, a lot of closing needs to be done. I don't feel great about it, but there's certainly the potential this early. I mean, of course. I mean, you go out and get Emmett Mosley and Ryan Wingo and – Breedell Richardson and I'm with Cam Williams and I'm like, yeah, that's um, I mean, based on what those guys were as juniors because we can only compare them for where they were as juniors. That grew group in 24 would be better than the group in 23 based on their juniors. Now, I thought Rico showed me a lot more as a senior. Yes, uh, you know, I thought that 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 Braylon James made a big jump as a as a, as a senior. Uh, I thought Chris Smith, Chris Caleb Smith had a jump as a senior. So these guys got – now, there are some other guys that didn't have jumps as a senior. There's some receivers I've watched that I liked as juniors that I didn't like as much as seniors, not for Notre Dame. I'm talking just nationally as I'm putting my top 100 together. Like, yeah, that guy didn't make the jump I'd hope he would make. And and so there's always that. But for me, it's just – it's the potential. But it's always going to be – the potential is always going to be there this early, Ryan. Will the potential be there in July? That's the bigger question. And they're going to have to make a move between now and July if they're going to want to finish with that group. Because I don't know if I could say if they land the class, if they landed a three-man receiver core that I predict they could land today, based on who I think they're leading for today, it won't be as good as last year's, in my opinion. Now, you may feel differently because you may think they lead for some guys, but like I don't predict Ryan Wingo to Notre Dame right now. I don't predict Micah Hudson. I don't predict those elite players right now to Notre Dame. I don't predict the TJ Moore who may not be ranked high, but that is a freak, right? I don't predict those guys to Notre Dame right now. I predict mate. I don't even know if I would feel great predicting them at mostly to Notre Dame right now, a receiver. There's work to be done. It's more, I mean, who would be your three? If you had to say predict a three man receiver class, you had to pick guys that you think right now today, Notre Dame leads for, what would it be? It's a good question. I, I mean, I think, I think that they're in a really good spot with Jeremiah McClellan. I think mm-hmm. that we see that one a little bit differently. Do you think they lead? They still lead for him right now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but you say so. that with a little bit more hesitancy than you would have in November. Am I am I correct in reading your Maybe tone? a little bit. Yeah, okay. you may. Maybe a little bit. Um, third Which guy, is okay because they went through this about this time last year with Christian Gray. Remember? Absolutely. You know, absolutely. so I just want to point that out. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who the third guy would be. I mean. You're kind of answering my question, though. Yeah. Right, because there isn't that guy that just pops off your head like, oh yeah, they're gonna get that guy. Right, like sure. I don't feel great about that. Where I mean, I, I wouldn't predict they're gonna get Josiah Brown right now. No. I wouldn't predict that they're gonna get, you know, um, McClellan right now. Although I'll, I'll grant you that one. Who'd that third guy beats? I don't. I mean, would it be Wingo? Would you predict him to to go to Notre Dame today? 
I think the I think the problem with a couple of those guys, and that includes Josiah Brown, and that includes Ryan Wingo, even is that like I don't think they necessarily have a leader right now. You but know, the, like right? That's, exactly. But it's yeah. it's there's the perception of Tennessee and whatever with Wingo, but I think that's overplayed sure. a little bit. But the point is, yes. it's not Notre Dame, so I can't predict them to go to Notre Dame today, because even if they don't have a leader, that means it's not Notre Dame, right? Sure. And that's the point is there's a lot of work to be done with those guys. And so that's going to be the thing that determines it. Right. And that's where I'm coming from is, but it's January, you know, who they would have, who would you have predicted in January a year ago? Like when you first got hired, which is basically we're, we're about a week to two weeks into what would have been your start here. Yeah. Were you like, I mean, we started to feel really good about Braylon James at this point in time. Cause as soon as Stucky got in, he immediately went for Braylon James. Like, okay, they're going to be a player there. Mm-hmm. They were battling to get Jaden Greathouse on campus this time a year ago. Yep. You know, Rico was clearly a pro Ohio State kid at this time a year ago. Yeah. Cardinal Tate was showing a lot of love in their name, but we always kind of felt like, oh, I don't know about that one. Right. So, so the class they ended up getting 23, we wouldn't have been predicting them to be Notre Dame wasn't the leader for them at the point is they weren't Notre Dame was the Notre Dame is in a better position today with Ryan Wingo than they were a year ago with Rico Flores and Jane Greathouse. Would you agree oh, with that? Easily. Easily. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. But I also can't predict them because I wouldn't have predicted Jane Greathouse in Notre Dame a year ago at this time. It took yeah. time to close yeah. the deal on them. And that's what we're saying is we're not saying they're not going to get those guys. It's just I don't know who that guy's going to be right now. And that's where Coach Stuckey's got a chance to go prove himself. It's like, okay, you're in the game for these guys. Now go get them. And that's going to be the key. And I don't even know if I even know what my 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 dream class would be, Ryan. Someone asked us that yesterday on the podcast. Yeah. I mean, okay, I know it's going to be Ryan Wingo, but I don't know. I don't know if it's definitely Jeremiah McClellan or definitely T- Emmett Mosley or definitely – because, I mean, I, I start watching film with TJ Moore, and I'm like, hmm, hmm. I might have to look at that guy a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, there's some dudes still on the board, and I'm like – I like Josiah Brown, man. Yeah. I like Josiah He's a pretty Brown good player. He's a pretty good player. So, so that's Perfect. the thing is like, it's not you got to get these three or it's no bueno. It's there's a group right now. I mean, Bredo Richardson's a really good player. It's, it'd be hard for me to say no to him. The point is, there's some really good guys on the board, and that's the encouraging thing. I don't know who they're going to get. I don't know who they lead for right now. And you said Notre Dame leads for Jeremiah McClellan. You think the point is, it's not a clear, like, okay, like so there's some players on the board, right? And we're like, okay, I'll be shocked if they don't get that guy. Yeah, there's nobody like that receiver, but the point is they're in the game for a lot of really good players. They only need two of them. That's it. They only need two more of them. And so that's the opportunity that Coach Stuckey has. So really good question, Jordan. Really, I love when we start spouting about NIL and Ryan Wingo in the chat. I know, right? Always my favorite. Yep. Here's a question, Ryan. Here's a good one from uh, Tommy Guns. How much of the game, in your opinion, is mental versus physical? It's 100% mental. 30% 30% physical, Tommy. And I did not hire Ryan for his math skills. <laughs> um, I mean, no, I mean, seriously, though, if I'm, I, it's a, it's a, it's a actually, I mean, like you want an exact percentage, right, Tommy? But like, I don't think there's, I don't think it's the same for everyone. Like, I really don't because there's some players that can win more off of physical ability than they can on the mental side of things, right? And then there's also positions that, you need more mental capacity than a comparative to another position. Like, so I think it varies from not even for position to position, but position to position, but player to player. But I do think regardless of what position you play, the mental side is the 
separator from the great players. Like yeah. at the end of the day, that's the biggest thing. So if you ask me quarterback, I mean, I think it's mostly a mental position and then, but then there's obviously you still need the physical traits, but that's going to be different than an offensive lineman comparative to a linebacker comparative to a defensive end. Like, I just think it varies from a position to position. I really do. I will say this too, Ryan, it depends on what day of the week we're talking. And are we talking college versus NFL? or high school in high school it is like 90 percent physical and 10 percent mental if you're just a freaky athlete you're gonna be a good high school football player i don't care how little you know about the game i mean it just in college it, it ramps up a little bit more and in the pros it's a very mental game in the nfl i mean it's a much yes. the, the the need for mental strength in the nfl from a knowledge and technical standpoint is far greater you see and you see it all the time you see guys that are a great offensive lineman in college because they're just big long and fast and powerful then they go to the NFL and they suck. Why? Because it's Everybody not about else because big, everybody's long big, long. Exactly. Exactly. You got to yeah. know how to play the game. You have to have a feel for the game. And and so it's a, a different thing. For college, Ryan, to me, it's Monday to Friday. It's 70% mental, 30% physical. On Saturday, it's flipped because the mental has to just kind of already be built into your body. It has to be built into your physical ability to go produce. And that's what we talked about before. It's it's the it's the muscle memory, right? It's, it's, I've prepared you so much mentally that you're just reacting, not thinking. Yeah. And so I've always felt this in practice, 70, 30 mental to physical on Saturday, it's 30 to 70 uh, mental to physical because it's different times of the week where the mental becomes more important. And if you're having to think and do the work on the mental stuff and practice on sun on Saturday, that means you didn't do the work on during the week and the physical is going to suffer for it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. Here's an NFL draft question here for you, Ryan, from Brent, Brent Smith. He goes, Brandon Joseph should have returned for another year. He may go undrafted or a sixth, seventh round pick at best. Any thoughts? So let's go reverse order here, Ryan. First thoughts on yeah. uh, where you think he's going to get drafted and, and whether or not you think he should or should not have returned to Notre Dame, which I'm not, I don't even know if he could have returned to Notre Dame, to be completely right. honest with you. Well, I mean, I, I put out a piece on him last week. And I mean, from everything that I'm hearing, Brent, I don't think we're too far off, right? I, I don't. I honestly do not think that he's going to go undrafted. I think he's more a mid to late day three player at this point. You know, he's going to have an opportunity to go to the East West Shrine Bowl out in Las Vegas, which I think is going to be a big opportunity for him. And I think if he's able to show some of the ball skills, proactiveness, and pass coverage that he has in spurt—I mean, not in spurts—I mean, he kid has ten career interceptions, so like he's he's done it a ton, right? Like it wasn't like it was just like two interceptions that you're just putting your hat on. Like he's had he's turned the ball over a ton during his career. But I think that I think that in the fourth, fifth round, you start ta- they start talking about it, and then somewhere on day three, it happens ultimately. I mean, I once thought that he might be a back end of the first round type of player, second round type of player, and that ship has just sailed for me just because I just don't think he's taken a step over the last couple of years. And he, I mean, this past year, just with the injuries and everything also he has to answer and the medical is going to be a conversation. I just – I think he's a mid to late day three pick at this point. I hope he gets back to his 2020 form. I do because I still think that there are ball skills there. I still think that there is – good instincts there it's just been maddingly inconsistent over the last two years to say the least another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Let's go down here to some more. We got some really good questions here today. Uh, I'll go down here. I'll find this one. All right, here we go from Irish in Ohio. He asks. Uh, I, well, I'm assuming it's a he probably should. Is it fair to say one of the best things, if not the best thing, to happen to the receiver room is signing Hartman? Well, and, I'm going to say no, just because I don't care who they had at quarterback if they had the same position coach as the past. Sure. sure. It wouldn't have mattered. They'd have been limited. It's the best thing to happen since they hired a new position coach. How about that? How does that sound, Ryan? Yeah, no, I agree with that. Because, again, I go back to some of the more talented players in the room for Notre Dame or the bigger body guys at this point. And I think that for Sam Hartman, that really fits into their profile, right? Like, I think that that is going to be big time. And then even for the players, the slot types, the guys that more win with route running ability or athleticism, you have a proven commodity quarterback that's thrown 77 touchdowns in the last two years. So, I mean, you feel better about the quarterback position and just the future of that quarterback position in general. And I think that that's going to be big beneficiaries because I do think that the wide receiver group is much more talented than what they showed in 2022. It's just about kind of the maturation process and the trust between the rooms, I think, too. Absolutely. We got one here from Kyle Wade. Kyle asks, who is your trees package again? You do going big in the slot for that package too or just the shifty, most agile guys regardless? I mean – Honestly, Kyle, my trees package for me would be my starting lineup. It'd be Tobias at X, which is the field outside position. It'd be Jaden Thomas in the slot, who's 6'1 and a half, 6'2, 210, 215. Tobias is 6'4. He'll be over 200 by the time next year starts. And then my W, which is the boundary position, is Deion Colsey, who's 6'5, 210. And then whoever at tight end. That that's I mean, it's not my trees package. That's my starting lineup. It's your package. <laughs> you know? Right. And yeah. then I'm rotating Lorenzo in a different spot. So, I mean, that's for me where I see it going unless Lorenzo can get out of his own way and really step up this offseason. But, yeah, my trees package is called my starting lineup. It's a good question, <laughs> but, like, that's where I think. That, and I think that also part of the reason why, Ryan, is not just I think those are the project my project to be the three best players. But it's also about I think that trio best complements the run game and also compliments Sam Hartman's and Tyler Buckner's skill set the best. Because yes. Tyler Buckner will never be a pinpoint precision passer. He'll never be Mac Jones. And so because he's such a gunslinger, and a, I want to give him the biggest catch radius players as possible. Same with Sam Hartman. Now, he's a little bit more accurate than Tyler as a fifth-year senior. I mean, he should be. But he's also a guy that likes to take chances. And if I have a guy that's like that and I have a run game like Notre Dame has, I want big catch radiuses on the field. Radii, I don't know what the plural is for radius. That's what I'm just going to say, radiuses. And if there's an radiuses. English person in here, the difference, then you can let me know what the proper term, the 
proper plural term is for a radius for radius. But uh, that's what I'm wanting. I want as big. I want as much catch range, catch radius, whatever you want to call it. Square I want footage. As much right for the for the team with the because of the run game and because of the nature of the quarterbacks. I just I think that's ideal. That doesn't mean there's not a role for other players. There absolutely is. But that's that's for me with my starting lineup. It's that combination of look because like here's the deal, right? If a five eleven guy is your best player, I don't give a crap about catch radius. Put him in the game. It's a combination of best play, best talent, complement the run game, complement the quarterback style of play. Is the order in which I put those guys on the field for me? The wide wide receiver group is going to be stupid big next year, man. I mean, because. Caleb Smith, the younger one coming in, is a little bit of a smaller guy, right? I mean, I think he's listed like 170 pounds, give or take, somewhere in there. But, I mean, you have 6'5", 210, like you said, Deion Coles. you got 6'4", Tobias. You have 6'1-something, 215, and a guy like a Jaden Thomas. You have Jaden Greathouse coming in, who's going to be 6'1-plus, 210-plus pounds. you got 6'3", Braylon James. Rico Flores, I stood next to, is a legit 6'1-and-a-half you know, probably 190 pounds at this point. The smallest wide receiver that you're going to have in your rotation potentially next year, barring, oh, and Caleb Smith, the older one, is like 6'2", 220, right? So he's right. massive as anything too. So if Caleb Smith, the younger one, is able to, is not able to crack the rotation next year, your smallest wide receiver is going to be 6'1", 190-something. Like that's going to be your smallest receiver. That is a wildly big offense right. uh wide receiver room i mean there's some years brian where like the rotation six one something 190 something is one of your bigger guys right. you know and all of a sudden right. that's your smallest dude so i mean you're gonna i mean to kyle's question i would say every package is, is the tree package with this group man because it's like you take if you take Jaden thomas out it's like okay Jaden greathouse go in that's another right. big guy like take go this guy like it's Braylon james right Six right. three, yeah, Braylon James. Cam like, Williams is gonna be that way next year. Six one and a half, six two, long arms, you know. Yes. Um, and and like you talk about like it's gotta fit the quarterback too. Like Jimmy Clausen didn't need trees because Jimmy Clausen could put the ball wherever the heck he wanted. I mean, he he was the real version of Vince Vaughn and and wedding crashers. <laughs> you remember what he said? He's like, Hey, can you can you throw in he's like, Hey man, I was first team all state, I can put the ball wherever I want it. Right? Like, well, okay, dude, you're a high school quarterback. That's not true. But it was funny, it was a great, it was a great line. But, like, for Jimmy Clausen, that was true. Like, dude, I can put the ball wherever I want it, right? Like, you know, Brady Quinn was not that kind of guy. Brady Quinn was more of a playmaker, a gunslinger. He was never he was never the most, like, precise quarterback on, on stuff that had to be on a line. Now, Brady had great accuracy, I thought, on, like, like back shoulders and goal routes and stuff like that. But, like, 20 and in, Brady wasn't always the most accurate guy. He tended to throw high. He would So, so you know, think of some of the catches that Samarja and Stovall made over the middle of the field where they're just, like, they needed every bit of their 70-something, whatever, close to 80-inch ring spans or whatever the case may be. And and then also then Brady knew that they had the great range, so then he would sometimes put those passes high on purpose. And so to me, that's a great compliment to the run game. But, like, Brady needed those kind of trees because that just fit his skill set. And then you put his skill set with those players, and, boy, you got a great combination because you've got a winner, a guy that's really smart, a guy that's going to battle, a guy that's going to take some chances with Brady – Combined with players that skip what skip fit his skill set, and you've got some great stuff. And then, like, Rayma wasn't that big, but Rayma had great hands when he wasn't, you know, when he wasn't also oh, downfield stuff. He had some drops against USC in 06, but I kind of felt like he was playing like not overly aggressively. But I mean, you look at some of the catches he made against like Michigan State in the rain, 
and his phenomenal catches. But he had a pretty big catch radius for a smaller guy. Yep. And and Brady knew that. So, but you couldn't do with Rayma the same stuff you did with most Oval. They're just different players. Yeah. So that's why I say I really like the idea of the big boys. And um, and I mean, in the tree package too is you know you can include you know if you wanted to attach a guy like a Holden Stace at times or an Eli Raritan when he gets back healthy, right? Like those guys can kind of do some stuff even as big slots as well if that's kind of what you're working towards so there's a lot of options for notre dame as far as getting size on the field man a lot of options right absolutely jason smith said who's the best route runner going to be in the wide receiver room well i think i think great house the day steps on campus i really do that day i still i still say the guy with i i still think rico's the better route runner I do. I think Jaden Grannis is the better uh, football player right now, but I think Rico's understanding of, I mean, because Jaden will do some things where you're like, he's just getting away with being bigger and better than that guy. Rico can't do that. Rico's had to become a precision route runner. And so I, I still think Rico's got the highest route running potential in the room. But I think Jaden Greathouse is is going to be in that conversation too, Ryan. I, mm-hmm. I do. I mean, he, he understands how to play the game. Because again, Jaden can't get away with certain things that Tobias Merriweather could get away with. Or that Braylon James can get away with because J- Braylon could just outrun you. I mean, he doesn't yeah. have to know how to do certain things. He can just outrun you. Jaden Greathouse isn't that I'm just going to outrun you type of player. He's got to know how to play the game. Yep. And, and he does. I would say this. I think that that Rico is the best route runner. I think Jaden has the best feel for the game. And I think maybe that's where, you know, you kind of put that into route running. I don't. Um, but as far as just knowing how to get open and knowing leverage and all that kind of stuff, I mean, Jaden's the best they they have, in my opinion, with that kind of stuff. Certainly. Here's a question for you, Ryan. From a position group standpoint, which group do you think improves more by the end of spring, receivers or safeties? I, I would say receivers for me, Tommy, actually. I, I, I kind of wrestled with that one a little bit, but because I do think that guys like Xavier Watts and Ramon Henderson can take big steps this spring, potentially like some of those guys. But I think it's wide receivers for me, because I think of what the conversation we had earlier in the show was right. It's that the Lorenzo styles, Deion Colsey, Tobias Merriweather, Jane Thomas group of receivers are going to get pushed a lot this spring by some younger guys, right? That's going to force them to get better every day and by the end of spring. And then ultimately there's going to be a maturation that happens between the Jaden Greathouse, Braylon James, Rico Flores level of player as well, because there it's going to be their first spring. So by the end of the spring, I expect them to have improvements as well. So I think it's wide receiver because I think that the young guys are going to push the older guys and then the younger guys will just have their natural maturation from their first spring overall. Yeah. I mean, basically what we're saying is they have the, the biggest room for growth. Two That's things true. for me. They have the most need to improve, and they have more of a ceiling, which inherently is going to create more opportunity for more growth. Yes. But, I mean, look, the safety, the, the three guys coming back at safety have shown that they can be good football players together as a trio, which we saw in the bowl game last year. This receiving core has got, still got, has more to prove to me. And then they've got a lot more potential for growth. So I would agree with you on that one, right? So I'm just laughing because – uh, Tenday had said during the chat that, you know, we we're talking about what's the proper word, you know, it's radii, it radiuses, whatever. And Tenday said, you know, where's Vince when you need him? Cause you know, Vince is a teacher. And I responded with Vince was a PE teacher, man. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. And then yes. Derek Calmer said, so Vince knows the radius of a dodgeball. I got to tell Vince Correct. about this one. That was a great, great answers. 
great response there. I, awesome. I might I might I might text Vince when we're done and just say, yeah. "Hey Vince, what's the radius of a dodgeball?" Well, what's the proper what's the proper plural for radius? Is ask him that. So actually, text him that now and see if he knows. Well, because I think school's out by now. He may he may have the answer to that one. <laughs> so I want to see if, Brent, if Vince does know the answer. Uh, so so good question there, Tommy Guns. Here we got one from We Are Not Marshall. If the potential isn't realized in the receiver room from the older players, what would still entice an elite high school talent to come to Notre Dame? Track record shows lack of development, lots of transfers. The same reason that current big-time receivers are coming into the receiver room. I mean, look, I know that people don't get this, but to a degree, there's it's Notre Dame. I mean, what was the track record that that got Randy Moss to come and want to play in an option offense? It's Notre Dame. Right. And so I think that 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 you've got to have a level of production, in my opinion, entice the elite players. There's no doubt about it. But to me, it's it's like if the older players don't step up and they get beat out by younger players, that could actually be more enticing to a to a big time player than a than the, the, that the opposite happening. Right. I yeah. think the production piece has more to more to do with it. And I think that that. Last part to me, it's the production that has a lot more to do with it than who specifically is stepping in. But here's the other part of it: if Notre Dame's got good quarterbacks in their classes and and the talents there at other positions, then the pitch is going to be, "Hey, we need." That's why we need you. We need you to come in and be that guy. That can work with some players, but at the end of the day, the pitch always works better if you've got proven product. If you've got, if you can show that, hey, look at our numbers. Look yep. what we did. So, but I don't think it necessarily is tied into the older players. I just think it's tied into somebody's got to step up. I don't care if it's a transfer, if it's a freshman, if it's a sophomore, I don't care. The production's got to be there from a recruiting standpoint. I just believe that the talent plus experience of the older players is such that if they pan out, then this that's the maximum potential this group has for 2023. Even though I think there's more higher ceilings in the sophomore and freshman class than there is in the 2021 class, in my opinion. It's just I don't expect those guys to be their peak ceiling in your like, even though I think that, you know, Braylon James may have a higher ceiling than Lorenzo Styles. I believe that wholeheartedly. Um, if Braylon James is the best player he can be and Lorenzo Styles is the best player he can be right now, Lorenzo would be better because he's older and he's stronger and he knows the offense. In five years, it's Braylon and it's not close. But that's down the road. That's a subjective. Right now in 2023, Braylon James at his peak for as a freshman is is going to be the is going to be lower than the peak for Lorenzo Styles in his peak as a junior. Eventually the age becomes less of a factor. Once the younger guy gets caught up and like we're both we've both reached our peak physically, we both spent time in the weight room, weather experience, now my talent's going to take over. But it's just not there just yet in my opinion. Would you would you agree with that Ryan? Did Vince yeah, answer sorry. the question? Yeah, Vince answered the question. What did he say? He said rate radii or radiuses. I like the first one. Okay. Thanks, Vince. So <laughs> somebody else said that it can be either in the chat. So all right. Uh here we go. Uh Zach Philippi. Zach has a has a question here. Brian, in your opinion, which receiver is most likely to have a thousand yards uh receiving for the 2023 season? I mean, as of today, I mean I mean, as of today, the guy with the best chances that is is because um, Cam Smith because he's the clo- he's become the closest to it. 
right? I mean, he's he's the closest to it. Nobody else has had 400 yards yet. If we're going to talk combination of talent plus upside, plus here's the reason I go with Deion Colsey is because he is the most natural W on the roster. He's really the only true W amongst the returners. I think the bias is a true W. He can play W. He's not a true W. The reality is for me, Ryan, is that the if you look at this offense, the W is still the position best geared towards production. The way that Tommy runs it, the boundary receiver is still the spot where your where your volume guy is going to be. Would you agree with that mm-hmm. in this on this in this offense? Yes. And so I think that's where if you know Dion right now projects to be the W. That may change, but that's the projection right now. So that's why I'd go with him. His size, his talent. He kind of started to show himself as a bit of a clutch player late in 2022. And then the nature of the W position, and especially if you're running the football effectively and you can throw – I mean, there's there's a ton of comebacks and, and back shoulders and stuff that we just didn't see them even try last year that I know Tommy Reese likes to run. Do you know how I know that? It's because it's what he did with Javon McKinley in 2020. And so I just feel like we've seen that position when it's – we saw it with Kevin Austin last year in 2021 as well. When Kevin got going – he liked to throw. He's going to hit the comebacks, the stops, and the go routes, and he's going to take those shots to that W position. And you're going to have a quarterback that can make all those throws at a high level, whether it's Tyler Buckner or Sam Hartman. But, again, we're projecting Sam Hartman to be the starter, and I know he can hit all those throws. And wasn't that where A.T. Perry, wasn't he primarily? Did they go left, right? or did he spend, I always felt like he spent a lot of time in the boundary for me. Yes. I always felt like he did. Yeah, I believe so, yeah. So, um, and we saw the numbers he put up. He's had a thousand yards each of the last two years. Deion Colsey and A.T. Perry are very similar players. Size, skill set, all of it. Because A.T. Perry's not a burner. No. And Deion's not a burner. But he didn't have to be because he doesn't. It, guys like A.T. Perry and Deion Colsey, this is what I've always said to quarterbacks. They're saying, well, he was covered. He's never covered. A 6'5 guy, if he's running a route where he's moving, is never covered. On a on an outside goal route, a post route, the only way he's covered if he's if he's double covered. But anytime a six five guy like that is single covered, he's always open. You just got to know where to put the ball. I mean, in, that's not always true in the NFL, Ryan. But in college, I absolutely believe that a guy like that is never covered if he's got one guy on him and he's running a movement route. A movement route means anything where he's not standing still. You can be cover a six five guy on a stop route or a comeback route. You can cover that hitch route. But a a go route, a post route, an over route, stuff like that, he's never he's never covered if it's a one-on-one in those type of routes. And that's true of Dion, in my opinion. Should be true of Dion in year three, which also factors into why in this offense, I think he's probably the best option for that. Because I think a lot of the spreading out that we've talked about is more going to be to the field stuff. A lot of balls to the slot, a lot of balls to the outside guy. But that W still, that's that's the one that you say that's the primary – position in the past game anything to add to that mr uh mr roberts i mean colsey's been my pick uh, for a couple weeks already right like he's he's Mm -hmm. the guy that i think has the big breakout i mean it would be between him and tobias merriweather like those are my two guys and again it it goes to how the offense is run typically i mean you mentioned obviously the success of the w in the past but it also goes back to sam hartman if he's the quarterback especially like i think that that's Outside the numbers is where he makes his living, right? Down the field, outside the numbers. And I think that those are your two best options with the size, length, catch point stuff that they are able to do. I, I think that those are the two most realistic options, you know, and, and also 
we talked about earlier in the show about, you know, maybe not needing the highest volume to be a thousand yard receiver on the outside. I mean, Jaden Thomas could be a conversation piece, but like it's going to take him a lot more catches to get a thousand yards than what it's going to take Tobias or Deion Colsey. Right. right. Like, so that's kind of where my thought process goes. So I'm, I'm sticking with Deion Colsey as well for now. If Tobias Merriweather kills in the spring, maybe I'll flip flop to Tobias train. But for now, I think it's Dion. I dig it. Logan Thayer says, would you rather have the 2023 running back room or the 2021 running back room peak Kyron Williams? Do you think any of the current running backs could make a Kyron-esque leap this year? I'm just going to be honest with you. I think Notre Dame has multiple running backs with more talent than Kyron Williams. Oh, they do. Like if yeah. Kyron Williams is on the current, if Kyron Williams came in in the same class as the other two, as the other two sophomores, he's not the number one back. Well, I'm, can I, I'm sorry. Can I say something to what Tommy's question was earlier about the mental physical side of things? Kyron Williams won. I mean, good all around athlete, right. For the college level, but Kyron Williams won because of his mental capacity and his, his competitiveness. That's what separated Kyron Williams, man. That dude just wanted the football and, he was he thought it was disrespectful people wanted to try to tackle him like Kyra Williams had that dog in him for lack of a better term better term he but Kyra Williams was 59 190 something pounds ran 46 whatever he did at the combine right like he's not an incredibly physically gifted player to your point Logan Diggs is more physically gifted Audrick Estimate yes. is more physically gifted Chris Tyree is more physically gifted I mean, Jabron, I'm not, um, sorry, Jadarian Price is more physically yeah. gifted. I would argue Jabron Payne, if he's healthy, is more physically gifted. Here's the question, sure. though. Here's the yeah. question. Well, actually, I'm going to let you finish because you may say it, and I don't want to steal your thunder. So please continue. So those guys are more physical, but I felt like there was a butt coming with Kyrie. No, there, was, there actually wasn't a butt. I mean, because okay. the way I look at it is, can you have the mo- – like, is there any is there any one player on the roster that's going to run for 1,200 yards next year, for instance, right? I mean, could it happen? Sure, I but see I think three guys doing that. Yeah, right. They could, but right. they probably won't because you have right. so much depth in that room, man. Again, I mean, we're talking about a a scenario where guys like Jeremiah Love, Jabron Payne, and might be they're going to be wrestling to try to get touches next right. year in the class, and they're incredibly gifted football players. So I, I think it just it comes down to depth for me, right? I mean, yeah. if Audrey Estime was your bell cow, number one back, could he run for 1,200 yards a season? Absolutely. Could yes. Logan Diggs do that? Yes, I believe so. There's could, such it, greater depth in this group, Ryan. Exactly. I mean, such greater depth. That's what it comes down to for me. And here's the other part, too. Here's the only question mark as far as, like, the answer is easy. It's 23 running back room. And end of sentence, no buts. Yeah, the, as far as like those guys being better than Kyron, they're all more talented than Kyron. All of them, Jabron Payne included, more physically talented than Kyron. They're all bigger. They're all faster. They're all they don't fumble like he fumbled. I mean, let's be honest, he had fumbling problems at times. But here's what made Kyron legit, right here. Yes, that dude had heart, and that kid had. Kyron Williams thought he was way better than he actually was, and I say that as a compliment. A big compliment because he was going to give you everything you had. I've ne- there have been times I watched Kyron play and say he wasn't very good, but in his last two years in Notre Dame, I never watched a game that I can remember and felt like Kyron didn't leave it all out there. He didn't leave it all out there, and he should have left it all. I don't. I can't think of a game where I felt that way, Ryan. Maybe one pops in your head, yeah. and that's the thing for me is if if they can play with the same heart 
and want to as Kyron, this running back room is going to be unbelievable because they're all more physically gifted. But Kyron wasn't a great player because of his physical. I didn't think he had great vision, Ryan, to be honest with you. He missed swagger. a lot of cuts. It was just he had swagger, but that kid had tons and tons of heart. Yes. And he worked his butt off. And that's why he's in the NFL over a lot of more physically gifted running backs that have come along in college football the last five years. There's a hundred, 150 guys that have just more, just random number, maybe more that have more physical talent than Kyron Williams, but they're not in the NFL right now. Why? Because that's not what makes him great. The all around game is there, but it's, he got to where he is because he's got tremendous heart and tremendous work ethic. And he's a smart kid too, as a football player, but he's not like a natural runner. He's not like fast. He's pretty sudden. He's got some suddenness to him, but even then his agility numbers weren't crazy. No. You know, he's just, he had a ton of heart and he left, he gave, he, you knew you're going to get the most you could out of Kyron Williams every night, every day. And you, knew that. and you need, you need those types of players on your team. I mean, this goes back to the swagger and competitiveness that we talked about earlier in the show, right? Like you need those guys. I mean, Kyron Williams for two years was the juice of your offense. And I mean, the juice of like, who's getting you pumped up? Who's showing out? Who's the guy that's getting the crowd pumped up? Who's that guy? That was Kyron Williams, man. You need more of that, right? Like you need more of that swagger. I, I'll just say it like this, man. And again, this is no shot to Deion Colsey at all because I just picked Deion Colsey to maybe go over a thousand yards this year, like the most likely guy, right? If Deion Colsey plays with the swagger and the confidence level of a Kyron Williams, he's going to be one of the best receivers to play at Notre Dame in the last yeah. several years. Like, and it's just point right. blank period to it, man. Because that you can't teach that though all the time. You can adopt some of that traits, but that's just something that Kyron had in him, man. Like he just had it. He just had it, and I loved watching that kid play because he, yeah. like you said, he gave every single ounce of himself to Notre right. Dame. Yep, absolutely. Charlie Weiss's last belt loop, this will be an easy one, is Bronte Johnson a legit take? There's some work he's got to do to to get into school, but if uh, my understanding is if Bronte Johnson wanted to come to Notre Dame right now, they'd take him. Yes. That's my understanding. So, yes, I believe he's a legit take right now. Especially a take as a talent. There's no doubt yes. about that. And, some and, stuff to yep. figure out, obviously. Yep. yep. Joe Medina with a question. Joe, thank you. How much of an impact do you guys think this incoming freshman receivers will have? Is there a receiver who has a shot at becoming a starting kick returner and or punt returner? So we kind of already addressed the first part during the show. Uh, you know, we think they're going to have an impact in several ways. One, they could have an impact as players. They could certainly work during the rotation. And then two, we hope that they have an impact because we hope that they don't lose their swagger. Yes. No matter how much they're playing, because we hope that that bleeds off of everybody else. So let's let's talk about the second part, though, right? Because we did talk about this during the show. Is there a receiver who has a shot at becoming a kick returner and or punt returner? And I think the answer to that, Ryan, is yes. Yes. Please explain, because I know especially, you and I are on the same page on this one. I mean, especially punt returner. Like, that's the one that I'm especially looking at, because for me, I mean, Caleb Smith, I think, has potential to help in punt return if, if the need's out there. I think Jaden Greathouse could do some stuff as a punt returner. Rico Flores, I think he could even do some stuff as a punt returner if you need him to, you know? So I think the wide receiver, especially on punts, kick return, not quite as much. Like, I mean, I mean – could Caleb Smith do something as a kick returner? Maybe. Could they do, you know, but I think punt return, especially for me, Joe, is one that I think you need a couple of those freshmen to at least compete for it, right? Like, because, I mean, you lost Brandon Joseph, who was a pretty good punt returner. I mean, he averaged 9.9 yards per punt, which is a pretty solid number, but 
you don't have a ton of known commodities on the roster. I mean, there's guys like Jaden Mickey that have experience as a punt returner, obviously at the high school level, but I think you have a couple kids in the wide receiver room that have experience as punt returners. And I don't, I think there's more questions right now as far as who that next guy is. So I think guys like Caleb and Jaden Greyhouse could definitely impact the punt return unit for Notre Dame next year. Agree. Well said. Next question from Irish blooded. Uh, funny question, which has failed up better, Bill O'Brien or Lovey Smith? I'm going to say Bill O'Brien because I actually really? think Lovey Smith, like early in his career, did a pretty good job as defensive coordinator. I still don't understand where the Bill O'Brien loves come, love comes from. I still don't get it. Like, I don't even know how he got with the Patriots. Like I, 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 I will say this, though. I will say this. I, I think that – I mean, Bill O'Brien had a pretty good record with with um when he was at Houston, right? Like he was pretty – he was a pretty good yeah. – uh, he was a pretty yeah, good he head coach. I think he just – he's like one of those guys like Chip Kelly where like he just couldn't get out of his own way, man. Right. It's like I well, want and, all and control over everything. they giving him more control, exactly. Exactly. But well, he's a he's narcissist just, and a prick, so you knew that was going to happen eventually. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, and right. he he sabotaged himself because he had something – he had a pretty good thing going there in Houston. You know, you had Deshaun Watson and you had some – you know, you had new Copkins and, and you know, there was a lot of good yeah, that was good happening point. there. And then that's a good point. He, he self-sabotaged himself. I think he's been a sporadic OC since then. And he's still self-sabotaged himself, to yeah. be honest. But Lovey, Lovey was a really good DC with the with the St. Louis Rams at the time when they went to the Super Bowl. Fantastic defense coordinator. Went to Chicago, had some good moments, then fell down. And then he went to Illinois and he was bad i mean he was just a bad head coach yeah. at illinois and then he gets well, he, he should have never he should have never to me should have never um it was just a bad fit yeah you know for me it was a bad fit i mean i mean look didn't lovey take his team to a super bowl you know it's nfc championship game now. right it's a long time I mean, ago now. lovey as a coach had has been to three nfc championship games in a super bowl as a head coach i mean lovey did have some good years as a, i mean lovey coached it with the bears for See, was it nine years? Three, four, five, six, seven. He had four years where he won ten or more games. And nine years he went to took to the Bears to the I mean, his record now compared to what the Bears are dealing with now, Lovey was astronomically better than what they've been dealing with since he left. Right? Mm-hmm. That's the other thing is what's the mark of how good of a coach you were? Is what have they done since you've left? And you fired me, right? For whatever reason. But I mean, didn't he get fired by the Bears after in 2012? Isn't that what happened? Can't remember. They, they started the seven and one, and it fell to twenty six, and then they 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 missed the plus and they fired him. Right? Sounds about right. So you know, so in twenty twelve they fired him. He had gone eleven and five, eight and eight, ten and six in his last three years with the Bears. Right? Well, what have the Bears done since then? I mean, they they replaced him with freaking Mark Tressman. Are I you kidding Tressman. me? Like, are you kidding me? That's yeah, CFL. Mark- that's C- Tressman. Legend, Mark Tressman. Oh my gosh! And then I, I give kind of John Fox. I thought got dealt the dirty hand because of what they did for him at quarterback. He went six, ten, and three, and thirteen, and five, and eleven, right? And then Matt Nagy was just another disaster. So, I mean, you fired Lovey Smith because he went twelve and six, and then you you did what? You had one good year since he left with Matt Nagy, and that was a fluky year. And then you got, you know, you lost in the the, the wild card game, right? So it's just kind of like, um, you know. You kind of miss those days where Lovey's down year was nine and seven, don't you? If you're a Bears fan right now, like I kind of think you might. I'll tell you who doesn't live, miss them now, though, is the University of Illinois. So. That's true. No, yeah. but 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 again, <laughs> NFL wise, I think Lovey was the more successful head coach, in my opinion. But I also think he earned it more. 
I think the only reason Bill that Bill O'Brien got the chance with the with the uh, the Texans is because of not because of him, but because of Bill Belichick. Like that's just what I believe. I just I'll always believe that. Um, it's the only reason he got the job at Penn State, right? Because the Penn State job came because of Bill 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 Belichick. I don't I don't think he'd done anything. Or I mean, he'd been at Maryland. Okay, they had some decent years under Ralph Regan. But then he goes to the te- Penn State and you know doesn't do a whole lot. Like, can is anyone? Oh, yeah, sanctions and all. And when he had four and seven and five at Penn State, it's not exactly. And then that got him the the Texans job. Well, if he's, I'll ask you this, Ryan, if he would have coached the number of years he did in the NFL for the Browns, and then got the Penn State job, is he the Texans head coach after two years of Penn State going seven and five and eight and four? Do you think? Is Ryan frozen again? I think Ryan's frozen again. I thought he was very contemplative of the question that I asked him, but he's apparently frozen again. So uh, I think that's how good my question was, is it just froze Ryan, completely froze Ryan. So we'll we'll go ahead and uh, we'll go ahead and move on. But, yeah, I, I think that Bill O'Brien has failed up more. I just – I have very little respect for Bill O'Brien at this point in time. So I just, that's how, man, my question was so good that Ryan's computer whole thing shut down. That, that's, that's, that's how, you know, you're bringing the heat is when that happens, but y'all don't know Ryan like I do. So what y'all don't know is he's not going to find that funny. He's going to be mad. So <laughs> if things don't go perfect, Ryan, which I like about him, Ryan gets upset. Nicholas Grosh with a question. He says, you guys have taught me more about football listening to you, you, any TV analyst. And I am sure my fellow IBers would be willing to pay for an expanded version of Football 101. Okay. Well, Nicholas, I will say this. We're eventually going to get the technology good enough. And, and I'm already working on some things right now that are going to be um, – we're going to do some videos that are going to be for message board members only. I just don't want to talk too much about it because I've already done too much of that in my three years. I, I There's times where I'm like, I had great intentions, but I just couldn't carry it out because we just weren't where we needed to get to. So I'm not going to make those promises anymore other than just we're working on it. We will get there. I just don't know when. But yes, we're going to do some more stuff like that. But look, we're, we're, we can build that stuff into what we're already doing. And then, you know, we'll we'll hold that stuff in our in our message board and you'll be able to look at it all there. Ryan, the point that I made on the previous question was essentially – if Bill O'Brien was with the Browns for in the NFL and then went to Penn State, went seven and five and eight and four, is he getting hired by the Houston Texans as the head coach? I don't think that he is. It's because he coached Bill Belichick that got him that job, in my opinion, which is what how Matt Patricia got a job. It's how Josh McDaniels got a job. It's 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 always that, right? Unlike unlike those other guys, though, I mean, Bill O'Brien, I, I, I still maintain that Bill O'Brien did a pretty good job at Houston before he got no, very narcissistic, no, though. It's not, what I'm, it's not what I'm saying, though. My point is he doesn't get that job if it's not for Bill Belichick, whereas Lovey got the job with the Bears because of the job he did as the defensive coordinator. I mean, it's all about who point. you know, though, all the right? time, really. I mean, yeah. So yeah. to me, I'd say Bill O'Brien failed up more, in my opinion. But again, you look at the records and Bill O'Brien's record and success with, with, with the uh, – um, with Houston was not as good as what Lovey did with the Bears. So I, I, I think I think the failed up thing just throws me off a little bit because I, I look I mean because in my mind right it's like okay failed up the most recent fail up right is that Bill O'Brien was an okay but not great offensive coordinator in Alabama he gets promoted to be the offensive coordinator of an NFL team right Lovey right. Smith was a 
bad head coach for the University of Illinois gets fired and then becomes the head coach of an NFL team. Like that is which is a dumpster fire of an organization at this it point. It is 100 percent it's, it's, it's embarrassing. Uh, nobody can argue against that. I, I, I get it's that awful. point. But yeah. I think part of what the thing with Lovey is that is well, let's be honest, there's other reasons that they hired Lovey other than what he did at University of Illinois. Uh, and it's the and same we'll just, reason that they hired the person before him. We'll yes. just leave it at that. And that's why they're a bad organization because it's just no it's just stupid. Anyway, um, but the point is, is if you look at Lovey's track record, Lovey went to the NFC Championship game three times in nine years. Bill O'Brien was at Houston for seven years, and he never did it once. The furthest he got was two divisional games. And so that's the thing with me is he Lovey had success as a coach in the in the postseason. Now, here's the other thing, too, is Lovey was pretty bad with Tampa Bay as well. And to your point, it wasn't just that he did bad at Illinois. He didn't do a very good job in t- Tampa Bay either. I, I forgot. I forgot that he was at Tampa yeah. Bay. To be honest, yeah. yeah. So they both have kind of are still kind of living off the past. But I just felt like Lovey did more to earn that than Bill O'Brien did. Is kind of my point. Someone and said Cliff Kingsbury in the chat, which is oh my gosh, one. I still don't that's get that one. one. Uh, who here is shocked that Cliff Kingsbury didn't make as an NFL coach? Raise your hand. No one? No one? Any takers? No one? I didn't think so. I don't think the guy ever won eight games in a season during his college He never. He had career. Pat Mahomes and couldn't have a winning record in college. Wild. So, yeah, ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. There's just so – this is what I say, like, the NFL – part of the reason I don't like the NFL, there's just so many people that are – there's a so this guy I used to listen to on the radio all the time. He had this expression, there's a lot of people educated far beyond their intelligence level. And I so think that's true. There's so many people that are in positions of power that are there because of accomplishments not related to that job. You know, so I make a lot of money in this field. It allows me to buy an NFL franchise. And now I think I know what I'm doing to run an NFL franchise. I'm like, no, you don't. And that's what I always loved about Pat Bowlin as an owner. He, why he was such a legend in, the, in Denver is because Pat Bowlin knows I know how to run a business. I know how to make a business profitable. And I'm going to do that in Denver. And you know how I'm going to do it? By hiring people that are good at the, at this specific entity to run the day-to-day. And the only time Pat Bowling got involved in those things is when, like, Dan Reeves wants to try to trade John Elway. He's like, man, no, we're not doing that. If it comes down to you or John Elway, you're losing that battle 10 out of 10 times, buddy. You know Poor what Dan I mean? Reeves. Poor but Dan Reeves. But the, the point is, 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 for me, it's, it's – you got to know your lane and there's so many bad poorly run franchise in the NFL that just makes it hard to just enjoy it, to be honest with you. And they're so bad at evaluating quarterbacks, which is such an important thing. I mean, right. The, the, the drop off in quarterback play after the like, top of the five or six is so bad. It just makes it unwatchable. It, it just does. And I'm sitting there watching Skylar Thompson and, and Tyler Huntley and, Brock Purdy's going to the freaking NFC Championship game. Hey man, How does he's that happen? Football. He's playing good football. But he's right Brock now. Purdy. You know what I mean? And then I got to go look at the NFC, and I'm like AFC, and you're like, dude, good quarterbacks are getting knocked out every week because it's Joe Burrow versus Josh Allen. Well, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen's not good because he he keeps losing to this guy. I'm like, yeah, he's losing to phenomenal players. So yeah. if we're both elite quarterbacks, and your roster's better than my roster, like here's the thing: oh, Joe Burrow's better than Josh Allen, maybe. I don't watch enough of them to get in that conversation, but here's the thing. Let's flip teams and see who the better quarterback is. Let's switch court. Put Give Josh Allen, like Stephon Diggs is very good, but give him 
Jamar Jefferson or Jamar Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon. Dude's throwing a Cole Beasley for Pete's sake. You know what I mean? Like Gabriel Davis. He's turned Gabriel Davis into an impact player in the NFL. He's not. It's more about the quarterback. It's like the three amigos. N- name me a, one of the three amigos for Denver that did anything other than when they were with John Elway. Ricky Natil? He was fantastic, man. No. He went to Tampa Bay and was out of the league. <laughs> right? Mark Jaskins, the Giants, eh. You know, Vance Johnson twice tried to leave and came running back to Denver because he couldn't make it with Dan Marino and then with the Dolphin or with the Vikings. And so to me, it's just kind of like when you've got two great quarterbacks, it's about the town around them. Well, then you look at the NFC and you're like, none of these guys have good, none of these teams have good quarterbacks. And it just makes it hard to watch. I mean, Jalen Hurts is the best quarterback in the NFC. Is that true? I mean, would you say that's accurate this year, Ryan? He probably had the best season this year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I mean, because Brady had a down year. Matt Stafford got hurt midseason. Right. Yeah, there was a lot of Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott. You know. <laughs> Dak is so overrated, man. It's but then so look funny. at the AFC. Yeah. And he's not in the top five. You yeah. know what I mean? No. Like it's just it's just yeah, it just makes it better. Yeah, the AFC's bonkers, man. Yeah. The AFC is bonkers right now. And they, quarterbacks. The question I had earlier about would you watch the Broncos if they get Sean Payton? I'm like, why? I think Sean Payton's an overrated coach with an with an old rundown quarterback. Yeah. So why, why why would I want to watch that? And you're giving up a lot of capital for those two guys. And you're paying Russell Wilson a lot of money for those two guys. Uh, you you know who had yeah. a really good year in the in the NFC this year? Geno Smith was a baller yeah. this year, man. He threw yeah, 30 he tutties. Good, but then he gets into the playoffs and you know, and and he looks right. like Every, Geno everybody Smith. everybody knew that Seattle team was a farce. There's no right. way they were gonna do anything in the playoffs. Right. right. Exactly. All right, let's get down to some more here. We have some good questions today. Uh, for Keita says, despite Clark Lee's high, lack of high level recruiting, do you think he maximized the talent he had to the best of his ability? I would say no. One year he did, I would say. I would say the 18 team, but that was look, no offense, Clark Lee, but it's it's the further away he got from Mike Elko's tenure, the worse his defense has got. 18 was his best defense, 19 was the second best defense, and 20 was his third best defense. They got progressively worse each year. Would you say that's accurate? Yep. Part of that's talent. But you're responsible for recruiting the talent. And he made a lot of mistakes, in my opinion. Like, hey, let's not look at Clark Phillips because he's not long enough. Oof. What would the Notre Dame cornerback depth chart look like the last couple of years if they had Clark Phillips on the roster? What would that 2020 playoff team have looked like if they had Clark Phillips on the roster? Oof, you know? Man. So, yeah. He just Clark had a lot of those. The, he might go in the first round this year, Park Clark Phillips. Yeah. Player, and if he was man. six feet tall, he'd be an even higher pick. But to oh, the point top, is, he'd be a you've got to you've got to be able to look past that, especially in college, and say, "Yeah, I realize he's not as long as we want." Ohio State made a similar mistake. Ohio State kind of dropped him, but you know, it's, but look who they were run by. It was a mistake, and I think Coach Lee got too much into that, but still did a good job. I don't want to make bash him like he wasn't good, but you know, he, he he's a to me he's a tad overrated by people at Notre Dame. Uh, fans about how good of he is i think he took he built a lot of success off what was recruited for him in the foundation of mike elko laid that's sure. that's my two, my stance on that let's yeah. wrap up and get through some of these here these deals here um all right uh tommy gunn says for the chat sometimes i struggle over the choice between wearing nd gear or ib gear does anyone else suffer from this choice not me i always pick ib gear but that's because, you know, I want to represent uh, the company. But I do like the fact that you have that. I do appreciate that, Tommy Guns, very, very yes. much. Yes. 
Irish Blooded says, what do you expect in the screen game with the receiver group this year versus last? And do you think this is substantial change in the types depending on the quarterback? I think the last part is is more there. I think the talent of receiver is not going to be any different than it was last year. It'll be basically the same guys, but some additions. That's more of a quarterback issue than it yep. is anything else. Right. Well, I, I think you're going to build a lot of a lot of screen game and RPO game off of different runs too this year if you're Sam if it's Sam Hartman, right? I mean I mean, why would you not, right? Like some some nice bubbles, stops. Like there's a lot of things that you can do yeah. off of the run game action because he – because, I mean, in def, not def, it's not defending, but like Tyler Buckner, maybe you'll just have more quarterback read action off of it comparative right. to an RPO game. But Sam Hartman's not – I mean, Sam Hartman's probably a 4-8-something. Four, four Ryan, he, like he can pull a, it on a third and three and take it out yeah. the backside for a first down. But he's you know, not but a, he's, yeah. Yeah, you're exactly. not running quarterback counter with him the way you were in the bowl game with Tyler Buckner. You're not on on the goal line. You're not calling that kickout play draw with Tyler with Sam Hartman the way you are Tyler Buckner. Is it, right. ex- exactly using that game yeah. as an example. There's things he can do with his legs. He's not a stiff by any stretch. He had 11 rushing touchdowns two years ago, yeah. but he's he's more of a take what's there. You know, you're, you're gonna you're gonna maximize his ability with the RPOs and him using his arm, not his legs. To your point, exactly. Exactly. I would also say that that your that this 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 the running back screen game should take a bigger jump this year, more so than the receiver, because Tyler Drew Pine just wasn't good at throwing him receiver screens, running back screens. I think Sam Hartman will probably be better. Than, and I think more spread out makes the receiver the running back screens more effective. Yep. Let's get through those because I know Ryan has to to get out of here soon. Milton fan says, are there any players that are playing a position that is not ideal for their skill sets? Not anymore. I don't, I don't think, I mean, you could argue like, cause once Jaden Thomas got moved more inside, that was more suited to a skill set. I don't think any of the linemen are none of the backs, you know, Chris Tyree, we talked about not position, but how he was used within that position. I don't think there's anybody playing a position that's not suited for their skill set. I think sometimes their I, I usage guess, within the position is not necessarily for that. In my opinion, I, I think a more interesting way to look at this question is, is there a player that might be suited for a different position better doesn't necessarily right. mean that they don't fit i mean because I, I think of like howard cross right like would howard cross be more impactful as a three comparative to a nose right. i think we could have that conversation well, and we've had this conversation about clarence lewis right? right i think that he he but that's more of how he's used like i think clarence i've said this yesterday uh or the other day with when i was on with malik and sean on lucky lefty and malik was like nodding in agreement like in bob diaco's defense clarence lewis would be a pretty good corner because he's cover two, cover four, he can heavy. do that yeah. stuff really well. He's not a good corner in this defense. So again, it's not that he's not playing a position he couldn't be good at. It's he's playing a position uh, that he's not suited for and how they use that position, which I think he could be much better for safety. So that'd be the one that I would probably say mostly would be the one example I would give, Ryan, is that one. It's a good one. It's a good one. All right, we'll get the last couple Irish blooded. I know we're talking about offense today, but what are your early thoughts on the offer for the Erlacher kid and would keep him at safety? Would you keep him I, safety? I haven't watched I, him yet, Ryan. So this is all yeah. you. Yeah, I watched him. I actually watched a little bit of him a couple of days ago, but I watched more of him in depthly yesterday. And I actually put my thoughts on the boards at boards.irishbreakdown.com last night. Kennedy Erlacher, safety out of Chandler High School in the state of Arizona, son of Brian Erlacher, six foot, six one, listed, 180 something pounds. I saw the size and I was kind of like, oh, this kid's probably going to be a cover guy. First few plays, I'm like, oh, <laughs> my guy comes downhill with force, man. I'm like, yeesh. But then you look further into kind of some of the highlights, and 
he's a pretty nice mover. You know, I think he's got really nice linear speed. Like he's pretty explosive, but his foot quickness was relatively good as well. He's played a little bit of inside at the slot, but he's played mostly from the roof. I think that he's a really physical player who's got some decent movement skills. So I, I think that there's some intrigue there, right? And obviously they just offered him. We'll see what happens, you know, in the future. I, I talked to him last night and he was talking to me a little bit about visiting and, and doing all that type of stuff and, you know, trying to get up to South Bend. But he told me literally when he got the offer that he he was shaking when Marcus Freeman extended the offer to them. So I think it's – That's uh, pretty cool. Yeah, it's impactful, I think. And I think that he's a very physical, tough kid who – Plays at a good school, obviously, at Chandler in, in the state of Arizona. So very interesting offer. Yeah, it is one of the best schools in the state. There's there's no doubt about that. There's no doubt yeah. about that. And, you know, look, Ryan, we've, we've talked about this. We want to see them getting more into Arizona more and more and more and more. And, look, they've recruited a kid out of the Chandler area, different high school, but they the last time their name got a DB out of Chandler was Cole Luke, and he turned out to be, you know, a good player at Notre Dame and should have been even better, better coach. Yeah. But even then, he was still a good football player at Notre Dame. Yep. During his career, we, we've All seen right. a couple offers in Arizona. Obviously, Jeremiah Newcomb is, yep. is a new player on the board that They're I think Notre Dame Jackson is pretty Jones. high on. And yep. yeah, Jackson yep. Jones is good, man. I like that. Yeah, kid. He yeah. is. He is. Did you guys talk about him in your underrated show? I think no, I I, no, you didn't. No, I wanted to get to him, but no, we yeah. did not. But yeah. he's committed somewhere else as part of it too. But yeah, right. he, he's part of that as well. Lance Hab. Uh, last night, Vince said he'd give Fox a hometown discount to have Brady Quinn in the booth. Would you take a slightly lower deal? Uh, they compared seventy million to fifty-five million. If you could get Brady Quinn in the booth, no, I'm not. I'm not giving up fifteen million to get Brady Quinn in the booth. I'm sorry. Come on, uh, Vince. You know, to me, it would be. I would basically say, hey, look, we'll, we'll we'll go to NBC, and then whatever the buyout is for Brady Quinn, we'll we'll pay that. You know, like, but it, I don't know. If, but again, I think Brady Quinn would do a good job there. But I don't think you need Brady Quinn in the booth to have a great broadcast. I'd say. Give me the best deal you can get. I care more about the quality of the production more than I care about the play-by-play guy or the color guy, which would break. I think the problem with NBC is like, I could deal with Jason Garrett and Jack Consworth if the production was better, if the pregame show was better, the halftime show was better, the camera angles were better. Like I, Even when Mike Tirico was doing games, I still thought the production sucked. Right, That's what I care more about. I think Fox does a really good job with the production of their games. Then when you throw in Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson, it makes it even better. So I care more, I care more about that. Um, You know, but, but here's the thing, like if you're Fox, why would I need, it would be stupid not to have Brady Quinn in the booth. Why would you need to give them a home down discount? He already works for Fox. So like, to me, I would say that should be part of your negotiation. I mean, why would Fox, why would Fox not want Brady Quinn in the booth? Right. The only reason that Brady Quinn wouldn't be doing games with Fox if Notre Dame went with Fox is if Brady Quinn didn't want to do Notre Dame games, which maybe I don't know if Brady wants to do it or not. I have no clue, but maybe he's like, Hey, I I'd rather not do the games of my home team because I, I can't be impartial. I love Notre Dame too much. I don't know if I'm just, I'm, I don't know if he'd feel that way. I'm just like throwing out something to think about who knows if he wants to do it or not. Um, but I'd love to have Brady Quinn in the, in the box. Don't get me wrong. It's just, I'm not giving up $15 million to get him there right. a year, a year to get him there. Maybe that first year, but I mean, no, I, I still wouldn't do that. But it, it wouldn't. It, and if Fox doesn't get that Ryan, then maybe that's not an organization that is one you want to be with. Cause they don't understand the value. It would make a lot of sense for me. But if you were to tell me that, that they were going to, that part of the negotiation was I want Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt be fine with that too. 
for me, it would be if I, here's where I would take a bit of a discount is, is I'd say, Hey, look, we'll, we'll, we'll take 5 million less a year. If you give us Brady Quinn and, and Gus Johnson for our home games, uh, man, I, now that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be, and that's not a shot on Joel Clatt. I think Joel Clatt is a very good, good in the guy. booth. Yeah, he's, he's good very good in the booth, and yeah. they're a great tandem. Like they play off each other well. It's just more about, but it's still Brady Quinn. No offense, yes. and I think Joel would get that. It's still Brady Quinn, you know. And we're we're Notre Dame, but that'd be an awesome tandem for me. Like Gus Johnson and Brady Quinn in the. Oh my goodness, that would be fun. That would be fun. But again, the deal needs to be built on the quality of the production. And the way you build up the production, not who's in the booth. Uh, that, that just, Agree. it really does not matter to me. I, I care about the production of the event. And here's the last one, Ryan. Yep. This is from Tyler Smith. Question for Irish Breakdown. If you could pick any two commentators for a Notre Dame season, who would it be? I'd have to give it to Gus Johnson along with Mike Tirico. Would be electric. Now, that would not be a good team because those are two play-by-play guys. Yes. <laughs> you can have two play-by-play guys. Right. So I do like Tariko as a play-by-play guy. He was yes, very good yes. at Notre Dame. He was yeah. the only guy. That, I mean, the only reason I'd listen to broadcasts in the last few years was because of Mike Tariko. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't stand listening. Even even as bad as he, even Doug Flutie couldn't make Mike Tariko bad, you mm-hmm. know. But uh, give I'm me like, either one of those guys, Ryan, and I'm yeah. and I'm good with play-by-play. I'm yep. very good. I, I like I like Gus. I I mean, for a color guy, I mean, we already mentioned a couple. I like Mike Mayock still. I really do like Mike yep. Mayock. I think he did a good job. So yeah, because we're football nice. nerds, and he yes. and he spoke to football nerds, and and I yep. thought he did a great job. But look, this is why I said this is why I said what I said earlier it was I saw Tyler's question earlier, and that's why I would love Gus Johnson and Brady Quinn because I'd get my I'd get my Notre Dame fandom. I mean, the first dog that my wife and I had was named Brady, and who do you think he was named that's, after? It's Brady Quinn, Tom, of Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Yeah. I, fired. Dude's fired. I got a second opening, everybody. Um, but uh, in all seriousness, Ryan, though, but it was Brady Quinn. I mean, I'm a huge Brady Quinn fan. I would love it if Brady Quinn was doing games. And if he was doing it with somebody like Gus Johnson, oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. Right. Uh that would that's what but I mean, if it was just Gus and if it was just Gus and Joel, I'd be fine with that too. If you're gonna take actual Fox productions, I wouldn't mind if you want if you had to get a Notre Dame guy, I think Steve Berline's out there. Go hire Steve Berline, you know, but um you know who else I wouldn't mind is I think Paul Burst Burmeister. If you're going to stay with NBC, I don't know why they don't put Paul Paul Burmeister in as the play by play guy. He's way better than he's Jack good. Collinsworth. He's very good. Yeah. And when he's ever whenever he's had to fill in for a game, he does a great job. So I don't understand why he doesn't he didn't get more just because it's a name. That's I mean that's really what it boils down to. His last name's Collinsworth, and I don't mean that to be disrespectful, but I mean we should all be able to see that. that nobody else with his resume is getting a the Notre Dame job on NBC if they're they're not tied into someone that's a big name in the business. So yeah. it is what it is. Well, that's going to do it for today's show, everybody. Thank you all so, so much. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. If you listen to a podcast form, we would love a five-star review. Sign up for the CFB Nation podcast as well. Also, check out our CFB Nation YouTube channel. And as always, Send them for the boards at boards.irishbreakdown.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and we will talk to you again very, very soon on the Irish Breakdown podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.